I'm not sure if uh, Keegan Allen is a better or worse actor than Brian Felipe. <laughs> can you imagine Keegan Allen doing some of these scenes? I can, yeah. She will be my greatest triumph. I just feel like Hayden Christensen should be really mad. He's oh my like, God. Why, why did my career get ruined? But everybody's fine with Ryan Felipe. What the fuck even is Ryan Felipe's career right now? I mean, he had like more movies and whatnot. I don't know. I just, I feel like he's actually like the poor man's Hayden Christensen. I mean, I would, I would argue Anakin, like his take on Anakin, you could argue is informed maybe by a little bit of this, this <laughs> performance. They're like the same actor. Uh, so the uh, Hayden has better hair. It seems like it certainly would be more manageable hair than what Felipe is working with here. Um, well, this was that period of like the weird, like white guy, like short blonde fro thing that was happening. Like Justin Timberlake had that going on. Like that was just a weird period for like dude's hair. Well, then, well, I mean, I remember watching in sync videos and thinking like I would, I wouldn't want to have that hair. So I think I it did not shock me at all when he like finally started buzzing it. It's like a lot of moose involved, yeah. Well, because like, just I presume that like when you had those kind of curls, like good luck getting a comb through that nightmare. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I was like, there's something more straightforward that I understand about Hayden Christensen's kind of handsome guy menace. <laughs> I just feel like Hayden Christensen has the excuse of being directed by a non-actor director. Let's put it that way. I mean, like everybody else is crushing it in this movie, Ryan Felipe. What happened? Like Ryan Felipe in this movie is half. There are moments when I think he's like good. And there are moments when I think he's a robot. And there are moments when I think he's like Patrick Bateman Jr. And I don't know what the intention is. So I don't know if like any of them are right. Yeah. I don't know. We can get into it. Let's see. Oh, I wanted to ask you a question. I had like the most random like sharp epiphany today. And I'm wondering if I'm like the last person on earth to realize this or not. Cool. So in the Big Lebowski. Right, right, right. There's a scene where the dude is talking to the uh, chief of police of Santa Monica or wherever Uh he's at. And he says, Jackie Treehorn treats objects like women, man. And I didn't get until today that he says that not because he's like, like passed out and, and like drugged and like mixing up his words, but because Jackie Treehorn was talking about, this whole like VR porn thing. Like he means it literally. I think it's a little bit of both. I think you could read it either way. Yeah. I never got that until like this morning. So you were aware of that. Well, it, it occurred to me that I was kind of interesting and half that script seems like they just lucked into something far more planned and smarter than they could have possibly like I always thought that that was just him like mixing up his words because he was like drugged until this mm, morning. Mm. I don't know. Listeners, let me know. Am I the last person to get that or not? <laughs> anyway, brain, I don't know. the brain is the largest erogenous zone. Yeah. It's On the you, maybe. Off <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta, I feel like I've got, I'm full of takes, you know, I've, uh, I've actually oh, yeah? engaged in the culture the past two weeks. Oh we shit. Got, got lots of stuff to talk about. Yeah. Wait, can we get to what's really important though? Serenity. Let's let's call that number two. Number okay. one. Did you finish your puzzle? Uh, you know, I I used all the pieces up. I discovered that I was missing exactly one piece. 
Isn't that a metaphor? So, uh, yeah, the puzzle has been completed for a while now. What is the puzzle of? Uh, It's like a Star Wars. It's like a Return of the Jedi. Like, it's kind of like artwork, like poster of Return of the Jedi stuff. It's not, you probably haven't seen it, but it's just like, it's like somebody, like an artist rendition of a poster. It's, I don't know. It's fine. Okay. Why do you ask? Just curious, man. Okay. But yeah. It's it's missing a single piece. It's really annoying. I'm I looked everywhere. I know it's not like it's on the floor or anything. So I think what it is was missing a piece. What was the piece? It's just like a piece of Darth Vader's helmet. Like Vader's kind of in the background. I was, you know, so I was gonna say I hope it's a, part of a face. Yeah. We need to get like a picture of you and just slide it under I'm not a Vader. Missing piece and have it sticking out. Hmm. I do not fear the dark side. Hmm. Do we want to talk about Cerny now or do you want to talk about it afterwards? Uh, I mean, I guess because it's spoiler stuff, we can move that to the end. What a fucking ridiculous movie. All right, let me just put a note for Serenity at the end here. Oh, shit. You can, let me just say, there's a moment where there's a, the, the twist is revealed. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like at the end. It's like two thirds of the way through, maybe. Sure. And uh, there's like this low bass grumble of, oh, uh, my audience. And then there's a lady who's on the five minute delay who's just like, wait, seriously? <laughs> there's a lot of just nervous laughing in my audience. So why did you go to see that movie? Um, I wanted to see something trashy. Okay. Had you not noticed my tweet about it or did that only like turn you on? Um, I did think about your tweet. I did see it, but I think I had made the decision before that. Okay. I've seen the trailer before. Um, the, I'm not saying you're I mean, wrong we'll to see it. I just, you know. You're warm. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I'm just going to say to people, we'll talk about the twist and everything at the end. But like, you can guess it from the very first shot. <laughs> it, it, yeah. There's like a, especially there's a certain cutaway, like maybe 15 or 20 minutes in, where if you haven't guessed it by then, I don't know, maybe you just weren't looking. But I just mean the very first visual tells you exactly what's happening, and it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, what's your worst pitch for a Black Mirror spec script? <laughs> Well, I think at that point, you're like, they're not going to do that, are they? And it's like, oh, they are. Okay. Well, I kept waiting for... Well, let's talk at the end. Yeah. I have like a whole rant about a video game, but I don't know where to put it. Why don't you do it now? So one of the games that I got for Christmas was Far Cry 5, which I didn't really know much about. I don't know. Are you? Do you have any kind of concepts of that video game at all? No, not a single one. So the thing about this game was that like the trailer for it came out like, you know, probably like a year ago or so. And it was like seemingly the enemy in the game was like alt-right militias. Cool. And that was pretty much all I knew about the game. It was like some people are butthurt that like, oh, Republicans are villains. Like, yeah, no shit, you know. But and so like it was like super cheap on Amazon. So I put it on my wish list. It was like, yeah, sure. I'll like go fucking shoot up some some alt-right like, you know, militia types. The actual game fucking blows. Like, I guess you could say from like a gameplay perspective, it's fine. It's like a really generic open world game and i spent like probably like 40 hours over five days playing it um but it wow. yeah and i you know you know it is i just gotta complete something once i start it like a malcolm gladwell metric about how you need 40 hours to find out something sucks i mean i could, <laughs> i could tell it sucked pretty quickly i mean i guess it was like mildly amusing to play like i i just started listening to podcasts through the whole thing um but the the story itself was so bad. It was like 
it it almost made me think that like they at some point adjusted the plot line because they got nervous and they're like, oh, it's actually like a cult and like we're gonna like tiptoe around the whole like concept that this is like obviously like an alt right thing as much as possible, so as not to offend anyone. Like it's just what a trash game like story wise. Like I'm I'm glad I was just listening to podcasts through the whole thing because the story was just so dumb and every time it like kind of interceded on just running around, like blowing stuff up. It was incredibly annoying. Hmm. Um, but I did spend Bummer. that time listening to seemingly like 50 episodes due by Friday. So that was fun. I'm glad that you went, I'm assuming you went back. I think I listened to like everything from the past from like 2018 onward. Not every episode is what I would call a winner, but like there's a no. lot of in jokes that carry over. Mm-hmm. And so if you just start a random episode and they start touting that they're, they're the number one anti-Semitic podcast on the internet, like that could throw you off, understandably. <laughs> well, um, I mean, it's weird because like I don't know if you've ever done this where like you listen to some music or podcast or something so much while doing something else that it's like permanently ingrained in your memory as like being associated with this. And so now, unfortunately, that podcast is permanently ingrained with like the shitty storytelling of Far Cry 5. Um, That makes sense. You know, fighting, fighting the current fascist regimes. Like uh, I listened to a certain YouTube album a lot one summer while reading a Hunter S. Thompson book. So I I always marry those two. Here's a great idea for a mobile game. Just a game where I just punch like Richard Spencer in the face. (laughs) That's it. That's all I need. I'll pay 99 cents for that in the app store. Yeah, Far Cry 5, what a disappointment. It, like, it, at the end, I'm just going to completely spoil it. It's like, it turns out that, like, oh, there is a nuclear war about to happen. And, like, they kind of change it from the alt-right to, like, this cult thing. And it's like, oh, this evil cult leader, he was actually right. Boom, turns out. It's like a double turns out. Yeah. Um, ugh, what, a, what a fucking trash writing that game had. So disappointing. But uh, at least I got to listen to... I don't know, if anyone's interested in, in listening to new podcasts, there's an episode of Do By Friday. I'm trying to remember what the episode number is, but it's the one where they do the magic trick, um, oh. which is just an amazing podcast. Like probably top time or top five all time podcasts. Um, just don't don't know anything else. Just look for the one about a magic trick. Hmm. You know, a fan of that or no, I, I it was an interesting magic trick. Interesting. That's all I had to say about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's all I have to say. You weren't impressed? I thought it was an interesting magic trick. It was a magic trick on a podcast. It's amazing somehow. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It doesn't seem that surprising to me in the era of online communication, though. Hmm. Wow. I didn't realize you're such a killjoy. Should we uh, start the podcast? <laughs> Why don't we start? Why don't we finally start? Go it's ahead and hit record. Ten minutes or so. Yeah, I'll go ahead and record now. Hello and welcome to Headcanon. I'm James. And I'm Marcus Parks. Hey, doing, Marco. How you doing, James? No, oh, I asked you first. I'm fine. I'm good. Feeling fine. Feeling good. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We haven't talked in like two weeks since yeah, last podcast. Yeah, it's been... Uh, I think our communications consisted of, hey, are we recording on Saturday? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What have you been up to? You know, shooting the shit, mm-hmm. shits and giggles. What about you? It's work sucks. Playing mm-hmm. some video games, calling in sick because work sucks. Nice. Engaging in the culture. 
a little bit. Talk to me more about you engaging in the culture. I will, but uh, I'm going to have you go first. What are you watching right now? Um, I, other than catching up on like the usual shows that have been, you know, back to, that I've been trying to watch, like, you know, you're the worst is back. Um, and, uh, I'm glad it's back, but I'm also glad it's ending because I just can't continue. I finally did sit down and actually what does watch that mean? episodes. Um, I enjoy the show. It's a little bit, uh, capriciously ridiculous and it's like reached a crescendo that can no longer, like, if you tell me like, this is the final season, I'm like, okay. I can you, appreciate it. On do you find out. it like emotionally draining or just like overwrought? I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say that I have what you would call an emotional connection per se to the show. No, I thought it like was got turned out to be all about like depression or something. Uh, it, it did turn out to be about depression for one of the characters for a while. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily relate to it. Mm, um, okay. And then I did finally start watching sex education as I was going to do mm-hmm. uh, at the end of our last podcast. Oh, hi, Sally. Um, which is you know interesting. Interesting. British kids. British kids getting. That's a lot of fucking on that show. No, oh, it's called sex education. I imagine it's, it should be. That's just saying. High school. A lot of fucking. A lot of fucking. A lot of. Uh, you'll appreciate all the like uncircumcised dicks. Oh, uh, I will. Yeah. Is it? Uh, do they? Is it a prep school or something where they have their own rooms or? It's a uh, no no. It's like a, a public. It's whatever the I believe. As I understand it, so please, God, like, let me know if I'm wrong. As I understand it, there is like the last two years of high school in England might be. I think they might call mandatory. it college or something. Well, I, I, the second to form or whatever. Well, no, I, I think it's so basically it's like those last two years that I don't know if you necessarily have to take part in. If you want to go to like a trade school or go just do a trade. Um, and so it's like there's 16 or 17 year olds. It's like they figure out if you're a chav or not. Yeah. That's right. They figure out if you're a chav or not. There's a chav test. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just, you know, I show up for anything Julian Anderson. Too. So they're just, all the fucking is like sneaking back to their house when like their parents are at work or whatever then. Uh, these kids have a lot freer and more fun and diverse sex life than I seem to think people had during our era. Or even that cruel intentions would lead me to believe was the, <laughs> was the norm. Um, everyone was having more fun than I was in high school, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, you would adore the the main character. Maybe. Would I? Yeah, you should. You you would show up for that big time. Hmm. I don't know. I'm only halfway through the season, so I could be wrong. But it's it's interesting. I've been enjoying it. It's been my like okay, all my bullshit of the day is done. I'm just gonna sit here and enjoy an episode of this. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it uh, is it an hour or a half hour show? It's a you know hour ish, fifty okay. minutes. Yeah. Does it have one of those Netflix plots where it like meanders for way too long? It's only eight episodes. So, yeah. so far, no. I mean, that uh, doesn't stop Netflix, but yeah. Um, it is interesting, though, because I, I I feel like I've watched a couple things on Netflix in the last few months. And like I've, I've really gotten my fill of like British soft boys, hmm. which is weird because I was going to ask you if Ryan Felipe's character in this is uh, a soft boy. Is it Felipe or Fel- I keep saying Felipe. I think Felipe. I don't know. I don't care. Okay. okay. Poor man's hate Christensen. That's what I call him. So speaking of engaging culture, what are you watching? Uh, so I guess there's two things I can talk about. I don't have a ton to say about this first one. Uh, so I've watched like all but one episode of Dairy Girls, which is <laughs> like some show from Ireland. Um, <laughs> 
I really just for the the Irish accents, you know. <laughs> like someone's holding up a phone. You know that new sound you've been looking for? Or listen to this. Yeah. It's a fun show. Um, it's pretty it's not like a high concept or kind of, you know, no one's trying to do any, it's it's like your classic TV show. Like it's, it's, there's no pretension involved. It's just like, here's some like, you know, Irish girls going to a boarding school or not a boarding school, but like, I don't know, like a Catholic school. Um, and then like one English dude who's there um, and it takes place in the nineties. It's amusing. It's pretty slight, but I've enjoyed it. Have you seen it at all? Uh, I think I saw the first one. Hmm. It's fun. Uh, and then, are you watching True Detective at all? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I don't know. It's fine. Better than season two, I guess. Oh. I mean, there's no Vince Vaughn, so that's an immediate improvement. The only thing it's missing is a uh, um, compelling mystery. Well, Rachel McAdams just like love of knives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I find the performance of Mahershala Ali to be good, but like very internal. Like it's you could probably say it's better than McConaughey's performance, but not as like sort of like flashy and interesting. Yeah. Like there's no like mon like he's like he's a very quiet character. He doesn't say a whole lot. And so mm-hmm. you, you don't get these like crazy monologues about nihilism and shit. It's just well, like a lot of him like brooding without the bullshit. He's Russ who just doesn't really talk much. Yeah. I well like the it's interesting comparing the kind of other elements, the esoteric elements of those two seasons, because like the first season of True Detective really let some people think that there was like a, an occult nature to what mm-hmm. was gonna happen. And it's like really not exactly established in the text. More like it's a killer who's obsessed with the occult or the appearance of it. Um whereas this the whole kind of just the way memory folds in on itself is really interesting, but it kind of gives you that other like interconnected vibe, you know, as he is in one time period and he hears someone saying something from the other time period and does that thing where he turns his, turns his head and now he's and, in that yeah. time period. I could probably do with just the two time periods instead of the three, but I don't know. Well, it's like, it's got to really be going somewhere with that, it's you know? fine so far. I find the actual case like, this case is seemingly like defining this character's life. And so far it's not that interesting. Also two, two elements that always bring anything down for me personally. Hmm. First, first word scoop. Oh yeah. Fucking, fucking scoop McNary. Yeah. His, his whole 1980s character, like the kind of the first timeline, mm-hmm. it's just like, it's fucking settled down, dude. Like it's just one of those characters who's just annoying they're like constantly there to like whine and complain and like kind of get in the, the main character's way. And yeah. It, uh, yeah. When he's like hugging it out with uh, uh, the dwarf in uh, the 90s, though, I'm just like, what the fuck is going on here? It really feels like they could have found a better screen partner for Mahershala Ali than Stephen Seriously? Dorff. Seriously. I don't know who, but like. Are there other washed up <laughs> actors who could have taken this part? It's not exactly the Woody Harrelson role. Yeah. Was Hayden Christensen busy? But like his, I don't know. His whole character is that he's like this like silent type who he's like a tracker and a uh, he was like a LARP or LERP or whatever in Vietnam, which I did LARPing. You're just waiting for it to like get cool, you know? Yeah. Well, he does find the. I mean, he, though he seemingly finds like every piece of evidence. 
just because yeah. he's a true detective. But I just keep thinking, like, how is this gonna, how is this gonna be presented in court someday? Yeah, yeah I mean, it it seems the like it told me. <laughs> it seems like it's a little more kind of serious and less kind of absurd than True Detective season one, but it's also not as fun, I guess. Better than yeah. season two, but like you're waiting for it to like you want a little bit of pulp. And so far it's like it's too serious for me. Hmm. And the makeup is pretty impressive. Like his old man makeup. Yeah, it's good. I wonder what it must be like for an actor. Like when the makeup is that good to look in the mirror and like see yourself as like some old man. And there's like a kind of weird like body dysmorphia. Yeah, like I don't know what that's like. I don't know. Dorf, Ooh, Dorf's should, wig uh, in the the eighties timeline is pretty atrocious, but other than that, well, it's always funny to me these shows where it's like we have to give the character a really pompous, ridiculous wig because like their actual hairline is going to yeah. become like a part of the storytelling later. But like the uh, that fucker that we hate from uh, um, Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker? I don't know. I'm just thinking of actors I hate now. Ben Foster? No, but first of all, let's just give me a list of all the actors you hate. Michael Pitt. Deal with those cards. Okay. I think those are the main three. Those are the main there's, three there's actors. There's probably you some hate. more. There's probably some more, but yeah. Michael Rooker rates high on you and your list of actors like you hate? Guy. I just don't like that guy. I never liked that guy. Huh. Interesting. Were you just like haunted from that scene where like, he likes his fingers and mall rats? Yes. Okay. Yes, indeed. Uh, no, the guy from House of Cards that we can't stand, who was on that weird, stupid vampire show on FX, or it's like he had a big fucking weird wig. Oh, Corey like, Stoll, or Corey yeah, Stoll, yeah, Corey Stoll. Yeah. I don't hate uh, him as much. I just find him kind of blah. Yeah. Oh, I just I can't stand when like there's these actors who are unimpressive, and then it's like suddenly everyone's discovered them, and there's the appearance that they're hot from property to property, so they keep mm-hmm. getting cast, and there's like a year and a half where you have a lot of projects featuring like them before people realize like before people realize that these are like actually terrible actors who bring nothing to your role like Sam Worthington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Team. I just, it's like they made no effort to, I don't know, like I don't know what they could do for Steven Dorf, like the young Steven Dorf, like maybe like, like pin his face back a little, like make him look younger. I don't know what, but like it's even, they didn't try. Like he just <laughs> looks like old ass Steven Dorf with like a weird blonde wig on. That thing they do in Star Trek Insurrection where they stretch your face. Yeah, yeah, he needs one of those. Anyway, uh, what do you listen to? Uh, I've been kind of just sampling some of the new music coming out, like singles and stuff. And then I started looking for more songs from a guy whose like, music is used in uh, sex education, and a, like a singer-songwriter guy named Ezra Furman. Because I'd heard one of his songs before, and I was like, ooh. And like if, when I heard it in the first episode, I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard this song before. I really like it, so... I have a really boring answer. It's just me grabbing random songs here and there. Like there's a new Florence and the Machine song out. It's a new Jenny Lewis. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. It's called Red Bull and Hennessy. Mm-hmm. You should look at the album cover. That uh, Ezra Fitz track is that called uh, Gold Falafel? That's through ice. <laughs> <laughs> I can see Ezra Fitz doing like a, uh, like a spoken word jazz album. Mm-hmm. Like he's Jim fucking Morrison. B-23. It's a song. It's a girl. I speak like William Shatner for some reason in this jazz record. Oh, yeah. She's got an album called On the Line coming out. Jenny Lewis does. Mm. You got to put it all on the line. So you're pointing me to this cover because it's like a shot of her in a dress with a boob window. 
There you go. Okay. Uh, let's see. What am I listening to? I've been listening recently to a lot of the Last Stars album called uh, oh. "There Is No Love in Fluorescent Light." Um, Did you get their new song? No, I, I sense that they might have an album coming out. Yeah, because they put out a few singles recently, but I haven't seen it not show up on iTunes yet. But yeah, I don't know. It's I feel like I their albums like you kind of need to just digest them a little more. You know, like I think I listened to it like three or four times when I first got it and haven't then, but I've been enjoying it now that I've kind of listened to it over and over. I feel like I don't do that enough with albums anymore. Like we used to do that because it's like you buy a CD and like you're just going to listen mm-hmm. to that for like a long time, but you don't do that anymore. I think I've said this like in the last few Hefkan episodes, but yeah, I totally agree with this uh, totally original fresh point you're making. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that I always respond very well to anything and everything Amy Milan. And a little bit less so of Torquil. Yeah. Torquil. Also, um, should we mention the Teal album? Why? Why would we do that? Why would we commit words to that? It's just so bad. If ever there is a, a band I didn't want to hear covers from, I think it'd have to be Weezer. I am shocked that this is not like where they went eight years ago and just like they're just doing this regional. Mm-hmm. Did you listen to their take on me cover? Um, I think I've heard. It. I think I did like the iTunes preview for some of the songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't painful. impressed. It's so bad. Yeah. Rivers is a weird guy. And I don't know. I guess they're just kind of capitalizing on a moment, which is weird. That they have a moment. In late It just seems like they're this band who everyone hates now. And they're just like, they're reveling in it like a pig and shit. They're like, what I'm can surprised. we do to annoy you next? I'm surprised they don't have Matt Damon on the cover. Like they had uh, Hurley on the cover of the one. Why would he be on the cover? Because of that SNL skit that kind of also brought them back a little bit of a few weeks ago. ago. Um, The album cover is very strange because the other three guys, I mean, they're wearing like stupid, like Miami Vice fashion or whatever. Like the other three guys look fine. Rivers Cuomo looks like a, I don't know, like a hipster golem. (laughs) <laughs> like dressed like Don Johnson. It's like he doesn't look right to I me. I feel like he's he's rubbing our noses in it. He's yeah, just a maybe. troll. Anyway, what are you reading? Uh I started rereading the collected stories of Amy Hempel because I found out that she has a new book coming out in a few months. Hmm. All right. Well, I am trying to get back into the Elizas. It's just I've been busy doing like everything else except reading, but Theoretically, I'm going to finish that and move on to like one of the four or five books I got for Christmas. You should uh, read a little bit of The Perfectionist, book two. Uh, yeah, I'll be doing that. What are we podcasting in like a couple days for that? I should yeah. probably do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's only like. Apparently, we should finalize uh, when we're recording next, too. No, I think we're doing it on like Wednesday. Sounds good. Yeah. So I'll start reading that after we record this tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I think it's time to talk about Cruel Intentions. Oh, yes, please. Would you like to provide an opening statement for your thoughts on this film? Uh, sure. I'll, I'll try to keep this somewhat. I guess, I guess we should mention, as always, a spoiler alert for this film from 20 years ago. Yeah, this 1999 film. Uh, yeah, so like I said, we'll, we'll get into like the, the diegesis and the pedagogy of this movie. But this movie fucks. Um, I... It's like the polar opposite in so many ways. The ten things I hate about you. I feel like, like, 
it's a very it's an even stranger artifact of the 90s to me because it's so delightfully mean spirited and like you know it falls in that like that 90s motif of like making bets about romantic conquests and somehow gets that concept or that kind of mindset in general better than like something like rules of attraction ever did but um I rewatched this movie both like from this kind of modern, like I can't believe this exists. And also like, I fully know this is real cause I've seen it a whole bunch. Um, I feel like I loved it again as usual, but I also feel like it has to probably be defended or explained a whole bunch. There's a lot in the just the general execution of this movie that probably explains why I like shows like Pillow Liars, never mind like the Roger Cumble angle and like the, just the trashy camp the way I do. It's, it's a super low budget movie that doesn't always feel that way because of the cast and the script. The script was written in 12 days, movie filmed in six weeks. Um, and holy shit, man, Sarah Michelle Gellar. It's like, it's been so long since I've seen her like in a real active role. And then just being reminded of how incredibly versatile and dynamic she is. And she just, she just makes this movie work like 20 years later still. So that's like the tip of the iceberg. What about you? Uh, well, like 10 things, it's, it's been years and years since I watched Cruel Intentions, like a long time. Uh, so once again, it was a real blast from the past. I'd forgotten how just fucking great SMG is in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think she might be too good, maybe. Like mm-hmm. she's just running so many circles around Felipe that mm-hmm. I, I just I have a hard time buying the romance between him and Annette, which I think is what prevents <laughs> this movie from sitting on like the very highest shelf of teen movies. But uh, I just I love its nastiness and its wit. It's, it's like an antidote to a lot of the sort of formulaic teen movies that are getting turned out uh, around that time. Um, there's a there's some real uncomfortable stuff watching this movie 20 years later. Uh, yeah. It's definitely not perfect, but I think my central take on the movie hasn't changed that much from when it came out. Uh, the first time I watched it was that I I admire its ambition to not play it safe. Hmm. Um. Never mind the the quote-unquote problematic stuff there's a sense that something quite keeps it like there's like some element that's missing right and it's like it's i think it's a central romance that's my personal opinion well i mean like the biggest misstep of the movie besides the stuff that doesn't hold up 20 years later is like the funny face scene Oof. oh you didn't like that scene Uh... i guess we should get her our top moments it's gonna be really awkward and i have that number one (laughs) i hope you do what should i do (laughs) I hope it's your number one moment. I hope it's your number one character ranking. Um, I have two honorable mentions. How about yourself? I have one, so you go first. Uh, it's a it's this is just a slice of uh, of the ending of the bet, the confrontation in Catherine's blue room, and she takes a sip of her champagne and you know like cheers, tastes goods. And the very end of the scene, as she's explained everything, all of her machinations, and she's like, "Well, I'm sure you've come here to make arrangements, but unfortunately, I don't fuck losers." <laughs> and it's like oh, a cherry of many cherries on top of this masterpiece. <laughs> all right. Well, my uh, number one honorable mention is when Sebastian shows up as uh, his sister Catherine there is interviewing. Cecile and her, her mom there when he comes over to Mrs. Caldwell and says, nice to see you, Mrs. Caldwell. Like he yells it in her ear. It's hilarious. Now where things down under. Philosophy, uh, <laughs> that shirt is great. Uh, my number four moment is just when Sebastian and Catherine intercept Ronald and take them back to their place to convince them to write mm-hmm. love letters to Cecile. And Ronald is just like 
how will I get this letter to her? And they both answer in unison. We'll make sure she gets it. Um, I just, it's a great scene because these two incredible monsters are even better when they're having to act like they're normal people. I think that's like what got Felipe the role is like put on some sunglasses and do this kind of like smarmy pout, you know? Yeah. But then he, but he's even better when he has to act like he's a real mm-hmm. person. And just in this scene in general, I mean, it's, it's a microcosm of the movie. SMG is like sexual as fuck. And then like Ryan Felipe looks like he has to, he has to smile like a normal, normal person at one point, And it plays off like those muscles in his face have long since atrophied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your number three? Uh, so it's Annette making faces at Sebastian while he's driving. Wow. <laughs> so you didn't like the scene. I I felt like this scene starts out and you're like, oh, Jesus, this scene. But like I, I feel like Reese Witherspoon wins both you and Sebastian over by the end. Like I, I think this is the one time in the movie where I sense like real chemistry between them, which like they were dating at the time. So I really should. Um, but I, I, I feel like this is the only time in the movie where I'm. I can believe at least a little bit that these two actually enjoy each other's company. There's, I think that scene to me, it kind of points out, we'll get to it as we go through the, the movie, but like it points out to me some of the, what I feel is missing, like looking back at it later. And I think it's, it's all right there, but I don't necessarily disagree with the things you're saying. I just didn't find her faces to be that. I don't know. Endearing. I think it says, as it goes on, like at first, I'm I'm annoyed, but as she keeps doing it, it's kind of like, I don't know, I think Reese Witherspoon has enough natural charisma that, like, what are you, some kind of monster? You're not going to smile at that? Mm. I think she really showed all of her natural charisma in later roles. <laughs> okay. uh, so my number three moment is when SMG is, like, laying on her plan to, like, ruin Cecile's payback to Court, a guy named Court. Um and Sebastian's asked, like, well, why can't you just do it yourself? And she's like, because an attack could be traced back to me, and everybody loves me, and I intend to keep it that way. Which is, like, just the beginning of her, like, later on explaining her whole her whole philosophy, her whole worldview, of how she has to operate. But holy fuck, she's so good. <laughs> yeah, my number two is a bit similar. It's a scene where Sebastian has, like, made his first run at Annette, comes back. And she kind of like lies down on top of him and is kind of like off camera, like rubbing his dick basically through his pants. And I think she's rubbing her ass on his dick. It, but they're in her hand too. Yeah. And like, and like just giving him massive blue balls. And then she stops. <laughs> like it, that scene is hot as fuck. Um, and this was at the time we hadn't really seen Sir Michelle Geller like play it this way. Like she'd pretty much just been Buffy and like a couple like horror movies, you know. Um, and she's just chewing up the scenery as like kind of a vixen here and it was super hot. Okay, so as again, as the guy who's mentioned that he discovered her in a trash show called Swans Crossing, mm-hmm. her role in this movie was like the clouds parting and a ray of sunlight coming out and reminding me that I wasn't insane and I didn't hallucinate that show. Because mm-hmm. she basically plays like the big screen. Wasn't she a villain on, the, on that. Days? Yeah, yeah. Mistaken. Yeah, but I was also a kid at the I mean, time. I General so Hospital. I can't remember. No, was, all my children. That's all it was. my children. Yeah. She was Susan Lucci's daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like when I watched that with my mom as a kid, I if there was like overtly sexual vibes. I wasn't necessarily picking them up. I mean, I'm sure I was in some regard. Anyway, uh, my number two is 
Look, I'm a, I'm a creature of flesh and blood. It's when Sarah Michelle Gellar teaches Selma Blair how to French kiss <laughs> during their picnic in the park. I mean, what, I was what, I was wondering how high that you, was going to be on your list. What are you dead? Like you have to appreciate that scene. That's iconic as fuck. MTV sexy kiss winner, right? I think it did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my number one was just the the ending sequence with Bittersweet Symphony playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that song. I like the the whole way that plays out, even though I feel like those people are just judging Sarah Michelle Gellar way too harshly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I like the the way it played out. Taking his narrative over hers too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this, the soundtrack fucks too. Um, my number one, it mostly is, does. I have, that'll get to my complaint section, but yeah, what's your number one? My number one is the, it's the second half of my number four. It's after Ronald leaves that scene and Sebastian is starting to display some morality. And he's like, we're about to destroy a teenage girl. You do realize that, don't you? And that's when she has her big speech about how court has to be destroyed. It's not fair that guys like Court and Sebastian can fuck whatever they want, but God forbid she, you know, eschew confidence, enjoys sex. And this is her classic line that she hates having to be the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side. Um, and the Marsha fucking not just, Brady of the Upper East Side. And sometimes I want to kill myself. And it's not just about like her her sexuality and enjoying it, but it's also especially like a 2019 aspect, it's the likability. Like she has to really bend over backwards to remain likable in polite society where Sebastian can be like this reprehensible cad. It's, that doesn't stop him one bit from doing his shit. Mm-hmm. So that's my number one. All right. Well, any complaints? I don't know that. I mean, it's hard to compare this to other teen movies because these kids are rich as fuck um i don't know that we necessarily fully get a sense this didn't probably bother me the first 20 years i watched the movie it bothers me now of like what is the code of these characters like they're not out and out monsters they don't come in like a wrecking ball but they like fucking shit up there's you know i don't know it's hmm. Like there's a there's a capricious nature to like where they target their victims. Oh, it's an odd teen and, movie that takes place like in the summertime. <laughs> well, with, with rich kids though, mm-hmm. so it's like the world is their oyster. I mean, at one point he's just like, maybe I'll go to the south of France for the rest of the summer, and it's like that's nice. Um, and the turn of because of the way Ryan Philippe plays this. The turn of like when exactly is he being fully manipulative and when is he like being won over by a net? Mm-hmm. I, I don't fully always get now. Like to me, I I kind of saw saw him still slightly manipulating her or like the patterns he had set up still working in that car ride scene where she's making the funny faces because his whole his whole modality is about getting to a place where it's like he outlines what he wants you to do and then he gets the switch where now it's like the people come forward and they bend over backwards to do this thing he wants them to do as like a favor to him. Mm-hmm. And he grants them the favor. Okay, sure. You can do this thing I wanted you to do. Like that's how he like time and time again manipulates people throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I have maybe three major complaints. Um, just to start off, there's some late nineties homophobia in this movie that yeah. probably seemed like woke at the time to straight people. Like the they're kind of vernacular and I don't know, like this is probably like you didn't have this much acknowledgement of gay characters in most teen movies. 
mm-hmm. and it's like they're being hip about it, but but you watch it now and you're just like, hey, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Um, I mean, it's 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 like on one hand, it's not like Pacey, like blonde Pacey is like the the ray of sunshine character. Like mm-hmm. they're obviously friends, but yeah, like Ryan Philippe, like in that one scene with the Gregster, uses terms that are uh, not cool. Yeah, this was just all like before it was socially unacceptable to just throw slurs out left and right. So there's a, there's a homophobia and misogyny for sure throughout Mm -hmm. this movie. Um, other complaint, I just, I'm not rooting for Annette and Sebastian. Like I just, the, the whole thing where suddenly like Sebastian is like, we're supposed to like empathize with them. I just, I don't feel it. Catherine is a way more compelling character. It's still hard for me to view her as a villain. Like every Mm -hmm. time I watch this movie, I'm like, I don't understand what's wrong. She's great. You know? Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I, I really hate the counting crows song that plays during the, uh, like the love scene. It's always, <laughs> it's always stuck out to me is just the wrong scene for, or the wrong song for that scene. Like it just, I don't know. It's, it's way too emotional. I mean, maybe that's part of me not buying their romance is that like, it's like this like tender scene and, or a tender song and, and I just I don't buy it. I'm like, nah. Like I, I don't believe their relationship and the song seems all wrong. Okay, let me ask you a question. As best you can, if you had seen nothing else of this movie, but you only saw the bits where that song play, like I just played you that montage. Do you feel like it would work and just seem like it was indicating a different movie? I mean, I think if I had just seen that and then you showed me the rest of the movie, I'd say this it feels like you cut a different movie into this movie. Because my argument is that I think what's actually in that sequence works incredibly well to that song. But you're right. There is a tonal issue with different aspects of the movie. The same as I think the um, the the Verve, you know, pseudo covering Rolling Stones at the end. I think that whole sequence is edited together brilliantly to that song. Um, I think those two songs work, but like they they do kind of just like airdrop into like other parts of the movie and it feels weird. Whereas like the fat boy slim song, like it's like, man, I hated that song. That song was outplayed back at the time. And then you had to go to the theater and see this movie and it was playing again. (laughs) But then you have like Amy Mann, like hiding on the soundtrack. I think I just wanted the soundtrack to this movie to be a little more funky. Like I wanted this to be the wild things of 1999 and it just wasn't the false memory that i've been carrying around for a while is there's a scott wyland song that's actually on the, i think the great Expectations soundtrack that i always assumed was part of this soundtrack too hmm. maybe you could so. use some uh what was that band called um the flies no the the like the life and mono mono that was the band's name hmm. you remember them vaguely it was, was like the song from the, it's the song from the trailer for Great Expectations. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. It's a cool song. Yeah, I, I thought it was I, for some reason. I kept thinking that like "Lady, Your Roof Brings Me Down" song was in this. Movie I guess somewhere. I would have. I would have rather this movie kept emotion a little more at arm's length than try to convince me when I was just not convinced. You know. Well, the problem is that sequence too. That colorblind sequence again. I think the sequence itself works. But it's like when she comes up, it's like a different like uh, color scheme and everything. When she comes up the escalator and she's like, wow, I'm impressed. And he's like, well, I'm in love. And I kept thinking like, well, fucking are you? Because I don't know if you're super oblique, like inscrutable acting performance in this movie. Are you in love? It's just like just another aspect of the game. And I'm just waiting for him to just be like, it's worse. He doesn't respect me. He won't. He, I'm above him, actually. Do you want to be Hayden Christensen? Yeah. 
Anyhow, let's get into the I mean, I would still say I still say the best part of Hayden Christensen's entire performance in those two movies is that bit in Revenge of the Sith where they finally look up the stairs and there's just Obi-Wan with his hands on his on his hips. Just it's, more of a, it's more of a human ex- moment. But yeah. Extreme dad disappointment energy down at his boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's jump into this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, artistically, this movie starts with just us flying over a row after a row of headstones. <laughs> There's a couple of like very long helicopter shots in this movie, yeah. Um, but I do appreciate, you know, because I, I do like placebo. I like that the first line of the song is sucker love. <laughs> um, yeah, but the thing you need to know about the Sebastian character that really makes him work, make you, the key to unlocking what there is of him is that this dude is super fucking precious about his diary. He's really, really committed to that diary. No, I've never read the original uh, Lazy Age Long Days Rue. So I don't know if that's like a, a part of it or not. I don't know if you have, but it was one of those things that stuck out to me as like maybe being like a uh, a translation. Like the fact that there's so many letters written in this movie felt like something from the original novel. Well, the, the, it feels hand wavy now, but it's like it's still very 99. Like when they explain why you shouldn't do email okay. it's for pedophiles. Indeed. Yeah. Just right, but oh, oh my god! Like I took a picture of his, of his diary. Like Sebastian may be a straight up psychopath. <laughs> well, I think I only really buy him as like a complete evil cad. Like yeah. it's when he like at a certain point I'm supposed to start feeling for this character, and I just don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got this whole scene with the uh, like Smoozy Kurtz, where she's this therapist, and he's just very obviously patronizing her, but she doesn't really care because, you know, it's like, it's time to move on to the next client or whatever. And then it's like, she gets a call from her daughter, Tara Reed, who he's like <laughs> gone and seduced uh, behind the scenes or whatever. Like, and like basically like taking her virginity just to stick it to his therapist for overcharging. Mm. Well, also his like, one of his like opening salvos here is just like, Basically, like, I like to photograph women's legs. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, this whole, the whole game is about taking this famous psychotherapist down and, like, and her daughter at the same time, like, striking out by what a horrible person they both are. It's like, it's like just a, just a breath away from, like, a Neil Labute kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it, it's, the, it's the tonal issue, too. Like, Susie Kurtz is, like, really over top. Susie Kurtz is, like, the only person who's been, like, also one of the Dangerous Liaisons movies. Um, but the 99 aspect that I love is that when it, part of the takedown is that he sets up essentially like a GeoCities website to drag this poor girl. <laughs> and like, I, I think it's, she says that like he put naked photos of her on the internet or whatever. Well, like he photoshopped naked photos of her onto her mom's book, which is about good parenting. Yeah. Just tear reading her whole line reading and things just got completely out of hand. <laughs> oh, but still nude photos of a child. Like that's, uh. I don't know. Maybe it's easier to gloss over when you're a teenager watching this movie. Yeah, it's one of those mm. things that is we just think about it differently now, I think, than mm-hmm. when this movie came out. I feel like that's part of us choosing this movie is <laughs> because we I mean, this movie is like it's very rotten to the core. And that's very me in a lot of regards. But like there's aspects of it. It's like I've forgotten some things. Um, well, you know, it yes. probably I should mention it didn't help. Um 
you know, a couple of days ago, there's some new like Brian Singer allegations coming out. I happened to start watching that online documentary and open secret. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Mm-mm. Uh, so it's like a, it's on like Vimeo. It's this documentary about like Hollywood, like sex predators. Um, so I watched like an hour of that before watching this movie, which is probably not a good, like, uh, you know, starter. Yeah. yeah not no. a good lead in. <laughs> Cause like, yeah. you're just like, kind of like seeing the way like grooming happens to like, you know, the way yeah. pedophiles work with children. And then you watch this movie and it's like, this isn't fun. I- I watched about, I should say, I watched about 45 minutes of this movie a couple months ago when I saw it was on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of issues that I had to gloss over, but like just the the nastiness of it, I was just like, oh, this feels so good. It's like a fresh fresh, fresh air because I'm a terrible person at my heart. But like now rewatching it all the way through, yeah, it's, I mean, there's parts of it I love and I want to focus on those, but I don't, I don't think we're endorsing the negative aspects by any means by us podcasting about this i hope that comes across no definitely not i mean some of this is just you know when you talk about a movie from two decades ago you're gonna run into these things Um, yeah yeah and i just i i feel bad because we waited i don't know how this works out like an hour into our podcast to actually have this aside but yeah um sorry um yeah so sweet chris flipping the fuck out this chick clarissa swoops in immediately and it's just like what's her problem um this chick is just automatically cool with like going to lunch with this dude it's like they're holding hands immediately well, it's like oh that woman's yelling at you that's attractive let's hang out i mean i feel like clarissa has to know who swoozy kurtz's character is and you know on one hand i'd like get it clarissa pounce on that thing this movie's a dangerous like reminder like never go to a second location with a suave maniac it kind of makes me wonder what the actual novel is. Like what, what is the analog for some of this stuff? You know, like, is this actually like, is there something with like a woman and her daughter in the original where he's like getting his revenge by defiling her or something? Um, I don't know. So I know I have seen the original, the, the John Malkovich Glenn one. Close. I have not. Michelle, I've never Michelle seen one. Yeah. I saw that when I was a kid. Uh, that might explain a lot about me. And then years later, I saw there's a um, there's another version called Valmont. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who the dude is in it, but uh, Annette Benning plays the Catherine character, mm. and she's it's very it's very erotic. Oh. It's very erotic. Um, I feel like I should, I need that in like a drop. I think it's play every once in a while. It's very erotic. Yeah, Mark, uh, put that on the poster, Marco Sparks. It's very erotic. <laughs> Ten thousand dollars. I'll sell you that quote to any any movie you got. <laughs> Transformers, twelve. Mm-hmm. Very erotic. It's very erotic. Uh, Serenity. It's very would it, would it be bad form to blurb your own book that way? Not at all. Hmm. Not no, not at all. Yeah. Um. Oh no, the uh, it should be the epigraph. Okay. It's very, it's very erotic. <laughs> Uh, so Sebastian goes back to his, his, you know, apartment or whatever, the massive house that they, or townhouse or whatever they have. How often does he make this parking cop, like cops life hell? Oh, I think you just got to eat shit when you're that guy. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, so Christine Baranski 
is there. She's the mom of Cecile, played by Selma Blair, who's actually the oldest of the cast. Yeah. She's 27. It's kind of hilarious to see Selma Blair doing all these really over-the-top kind of like young girl like affectations because she's um, older. Like I feel like that it makes it better that she's older. I tried to do a little, just a just a smattering of like what other people think of this, and I saw a lot of derision for Selma Blair. Really, I think she's actually fantastic in this. Oh yeah, definitely. I yeah, I mean we'll get to that in the power rankings, but no, I I loved it. Like it, it's completely ridiculous, but very entertaining. Well, and just the physicality of what she's doing, like playing, I think a fourteen-year-old. Like I think she's a an incoming freshman to Manchester Prep, and I, when I think of Manchester Prep now, I just think of. Cruel Intentions 2, which is <laughs> a great movie. And then I was reading a little bit about the, the show they tried to do a few years ago. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so SMG, like, she refers obliquely to her Jesus dust. You know, she turns to Jesus for her cocaine cross. Mm-hmm. Um, SMG, just, my God, she's good in this movie. She's so good. She's throwing this, 110 miles an hour the whole way through. This is a crazy fucking hiatus. Like, for her to, like, step away from Buffy, film this movie... Uh, Pacey's like, I'm going to bleach my hair. So however many movies I can squeeze. <laughs> so this and, uh, um, urban legends. I'm and then they're going to, they're, them in there. they're going to work in his frosted tips into that. Uh, yeah. Sort yeah. of Dawson's Creek. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, we get the line where she's like talking about the boys. It's like most of the boys who matriculate at Manchester prep are fine, upstanding gentlemen, but there are a few bad apples. Oh, like your stepbrother, Sebastian. I can't believe they didn't expel him after what he did the school nurse. Sebastian walks in and he's like, oh, I hear she's recovering quite well. What the fuck did he do to the school nurse? <laughs> I don't even know. Something filthy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Sebastian just comes off like a dangerous sexual predator. Like, like a we need to talk about Sebastian kind mm-hmm. of situation with him. Um, Christine Bransky, who I've always not been drawn to in other things, I think is great in her role here. Um, she gets, I think, how ridiculous. Like, she only did like three days on this movie, but like she gets like what her character is. It fits. Keep your legs together. This isn't Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then they leave, and we see that the the big crucifix that Catherine wears actually is like a little like Coke vial or whatever. And she does bump from. Let me ask you this: I like what is the Coke etiquette? I, I've never done it myself, so I don't know. If you start doing a bump of Coke, are you supposed to offer it to somebody else, or is it like get your own well, Coke? Let me ask you a question. So let's say I'm doing a bump of Coke, mm-hmm. right? And you're in the room with me. Are you a poor? Because if you're poor, get your own cocaine. I mean, they're like right next to each other. It's not like they're across the room or something. Like, I don't know. I mean, if you're, if you're siblings, I think you're required. But if you're step siblings, I think the not offering, is just a, it's, a, it's a coded fuck you. Get yeah. your own cocaine. Yeah, I guess so. What are you, you going to do? A bunch of Coke and go right in your diary? I guess they're bitch. both like rich, though. So it's not like they can't afford their own cocaine. It yeah. just, I don't know. I guess I would like to think not that interested they have in offering it. competing Coke dealers who fight outside to mm. like get in there first. Um, yeah, so their their that repartee is such of how is your gold digging whore of a mother enjoying Bali? Oh, she suspects that your impotent alcohol father is diddling the maid. Okay, what are you doing there to that microphone? Sorry, Harry jumped on the microphone. Hmm. I feel like your cats aren't even in the same room. Uh, well, Harry is because he just woke up, but now hmm. he wants to fuck shit up. There's also a mention of a son of Garrett Reynolds in here. There's a character named, I think, Court Reynolds. That, Court uh, Reynolds. Yeah. The son of Garrett Jared. Reynolds made me LOL. Played by Jared O'Connell's brother. Oh, is that who that is? Okay. <laughs> who passes out while SMG is sucking his dick. <laughs> As you do. As you do. 
So, so the, essentially, the, the, that's the core of this plot: is that Catherine is furious because Court fell for Cecile and thus dumped her. So now SCP is going to turn Cecile into the newest, hottest tramp on the scene. Um, as she's laying this out, Sebastian's going around the room, straightening a photo of their of their parents with Bill Clinton. <laughs> it's a very labyrinth ra- labyrinthine plot because it takes a while for like the you know the central bet to develop like at first it seems like it's going to be about cecile but then not really and then annette shows up well like it it, it's amazing how well the rest of them fold into it Mm -hmm. i guess mostly through the device of the ant well it's it's mostly just about like them the two of them like playing with their food kind of a thing yeah you know like the the actual the terms of the bet are beside the point well, it's it's funny how I mean again they are competing with each other, but they're also at times working together because mm-hmm. they like they understand like they're both like horrendous monsters. Um, my only my other issue is like I totally get her reasoning for why she needs to destroy this girl as a, a payback to court. I was like, dude, take this. Like, you're gonna you're gonna leave me. I'm gonna ruin everything you you could possibly like besides me. Yeah, even though this girl's done nothing wrong, yeah, I'm gonna ruin her. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not endorsing. I'm just saying. I get it. Um, but court never shows up again. Like we hear that Cecile is supposed to have like a romantic getaway of court. And I'm like, how the fuck did these two meet? Like, <laughs> how's court even aware of this, uh, incredibly charming dunce? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is when Sebastian then whips out, like he's got a new project of his own. Uh, and he whips out a, a great in joke of the 17 magazine with Jennifer Love Hewitt on the cover. Um, and there's Annette, and her article is entitled "A Virgin's Manifesto." Oh boy! Um, I mean, that, just, that was real back in the late '90s. But just imagine in 2019 pitching a plot where you're like, "I have a movie character who decides he's going to destroy a girl with sex because he read her article in Seventeen magazine." <laughs> also, I, I do love the quick cutaway. It's like flashback to. Cecile like uh, meeting this guy at like the fair or whatever it's just like she's like dressed like this dork with like a sailor's hat on and she licks an ice cream cone then it falls on the floor yeah yeah which is how Dawson's dad died yeah R.A.P. man yeah well I'm sure he'll get something new in a flash Um, Mm. so can you imagine what this do with my reputation Sebastian says screwing the new headmaster's daughter before school starts should be my greatest victory like he's firmly on track to peak in high school oh I'm sorry if you haven't watched me I skip this Annette is the girl that he's going to fuck because she's like talking how what a privilege it is to wait till marriage is of course the new headmaster's daughter who lives in Kansas but they're coming here she's staying with his aunt played by Louise Brooks Annette is Reese Witherspoon obviously yeah and it's Reese Witherspoon yeah um, but and then he's like if you excuse me <laughs> I have to devote the rest of my afternoon to journaling. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So she's like trying to seduce him by like kind of like pulling her blazer black to reveal like some kind of like crazy corset or something that she's wearing. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a whole lot of them like basically getting to like second base with each other and uh-huh. then just kind of like wandering off because but they're stepbrother and sister. So, you know, yeah. there's a lot of ruined underoos in this family. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the major does laundry is like that's a tell all book that will happen someday. Uh, yeah, so they make a wager. The term, I mean, he's like straight up like creeping his hand down her chest and like groping her, and then just like wandering off. Yeah. Well, the it's fascinating to watch the actual blocking in some of those scenes because if you look at Ryan 
Philippe's hands, they have to appear sensual without appearing sexual. Like only one time does he ever actually like like honk honk on like her boob. Like the rest of the time it's like it's like un- the under boob a little bit, like shoulders, a little clavicle. Like he's always very like you know what I mean? It's not like there's like a finger tweaking a nipple inside of a shirt or anything like that. No, but I'd say it's still somewhat sexual. Um, it's, it's 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 sexual, but it's not it's as very handsy. overt as it could be. Yeah, yeah it's very, it could be more handsy in a teenage boy fashion, but it's not. Um, also, before we get to the terms, let me just flash you back. I don't know if you remember this. There was a there was a certain point where you were doing something on the computer, low these many years ago. Okay, and you were you were reading the internet as you do, probably reading the any cool news. Mm-hmm. And you said to me, "Hey, you still have that crush on Sarah Michelle Gellar?" And I said, "Yeah, why?" And you said, she's doing a movie in which she makes a bet of Ryan Philippe about whether or not he can fuck her in the ass. I don't recall that, but I'm sure it happened. I believe believe the line is, you can put it anywhere. And then like a year later, this movie, I was just like, this is real. Like he wasn't just taunting me. (laughs) Yeah, so the terms are, basically the the bet is whether or not he can deflower a net. The terms are of... Sarah Michelle Gellar wins. She gets his car, which is, I don't know, basically Austin Powers car. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know cars. And if he wins, he can, he can put it anywhere. Well, at first it's like in English, I'll fuck your brains out. She says to him and he's just like, eh. And she's like, you can put it anywhere. And he's like, now you're talking. Yeah. There's no time limit. That's my, my issue. Like let's, let's get some legal. I mean, I think this. it's like a gentleman's bed. Oh, well, those are easy to, uh, pervert. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I just, I feel like though, 69% of the time when you make a sex wager, you're probably going to be fine with the sex regardless of the wager. Hmm. So anyways, uh, cut to, so Reese Witherspoon is staying at his place or his Aunt aunt's, Helen's his place. aunt's place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he goes and meets her and like immediately it's funny. I don't think that like pickup artists were like a, a mainstream known quantity at this point. But he's basically like doing it like right out of the pickup artist handbook here. It's just like mm-hmm. constant like negging and kind of like aggressive manipulation. Like everything he does is like it's very familiar now. Maybe it wasn't yeah. at the time. Or Logan Huntsberger. Um, yeah, he, he shows up at the massive fucking house. Annette is shocked from his opening comments that someone might find her manifesto appalling and not want to praise her for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes on the attack right away to like put her on the defensive about it. I mean, I think her fundamental flaw is that she equates the act of love, which she says that teenagers shouldn't experience that they are in love. Mm-hmm. She equates the act of love of being related to this thing that people call love. Mm. Um, then but then she also, yeah, she she's heard of him before. She tells him that she's heard that he's kind of a fuckboy because her friend wrote her that. Her friend wrote her a letter telling her what a fuckboy he was. A mysterious um, friend who we don't know, yeah. And he mentions that's tacky. And her response is, why do you sound so surprised? It's the truth, isn't it? And I want to be like, well, first of all, fuck you. What, to her? Yeah. Okay, why? Well, I mean, it's, well, it's like, you, oh, you read a letter about me? Come on. I'm not, but right, I think, it's true or not, find out for yourself. I think you have to translate this from, like, you know, the 18th century, whenever the story originally took place. Yeah. Oh. It's like, well, that's weird. Um, so anyway, then we cut to Selma Blair doing violin or no, it's like cello, I think. Right. Um, it's ominous cello. Yeah. Doing some cello lessons with Ronald, her 
cellists. Um, I mean, this Mr. guy's got to be in like, dance. he's got to be at least like in his twenties, right? I don't know what age you are when you're in pre Juilliard, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe eighteen or nineteen. I don't know, but like definitely definitely older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's teaching her cello, and he happens to get rather physical in the way he's like, you know, oh, let me sit right behind you in your chair and like show you how to move the bow and. Now he's just like kissing her neck and shit. And Sarah Michelle Geller sees all this as she comes in and she's watching from behind, just filing that away as like new useful information for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so Ronald's attending pre Juilliard. He's composing his first opera about Dr. Martin Luther King. Oh, and uh, Selmer has the wonderful line of Dr. King is my favorite. Yeah. Um, so Sean Patrick Thomas, who I don't know what he's done after Save the Last Dance. Like, I feel like he's to me one of the guys who really stands out in this movie because he's he's probably playing a pretty normal guy there might be a really nuanced performance here but like it feels like it stands out in this i'd movie. forgotten how much he's in this movie like in yeah. my mind i was like oh yeah he's like the cellist teacher and then he gets fired but no he keeps coming back like over and yeah, over yeah. again yeah well like then he's like a device to end the movie and then he's just kind of swept aside uh-huh. yeah um so meanwhile, like needing like needing to thwart an unseen enemy, Sebastian goes to Blonde Pacey out of fucking nowhere here um, to figure out who could be bad mouthing him. Um, so Blonde Pacey, the the gay like weed dealer. Yeah, a, a character named Blaine, yeah. named Blaine who wears a yellow sweater vest as he's like measuring out his pot. Everything about his character is like we swerved, you know, like you didn't see this coming, did you? It's like oh, he's a weed dealer, but he like dresses like he's going to a polo match and he has frosted tips and he's pacey but he's gay (laughs) yeah yeah uh he lives in a just palatial house but also he spends time in the dorms at their prep school how do these guys even become pals because that's (laughs) the fascinating well a dealer right i I wish that he had been in cruel intentions too i really do you mean mean actual joshua jackson or like whoever they could get instead of joshua (laughs) jackson yeah, whoever they could have got. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because essentially that's how Manchester Prep, which became Cruel Intentions 2, started off was a kind of a pseudo prequel, right? Yeah. I think it's supposed yeah, think- to be a prequel where like what turned Catherine bad, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Which that movie has a great ending. Um, yeah. But Blonde Pacey has a formal one on the football stud who's from Kansas who hates Sebastian for fingering his girlfriend at homecoming last year, who was probably the source of Annette's intel. But. He may not hate Sebastian that much because uh, he's been having closeted good times with Blaine all this time. Um, there's something funny about the way that Blaine is measuring out his pot. I don't know why. It, it fascinated me. The, the it just seems things. so like, clean. The way, guys, the way these two guys are like constantly like, especially uh, uh, Philippe is like constantly like touching props. Like if he can stroke something in a scene, he's going to stroke it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to arrange a fuck over with this guy, Greg, the Gregster. Um, okay. Well, I just say there's like a, I, I don't have the exact dialogue, but there's like a line here where like Pacey has to get rather randy about uh, like what a great mouth this guy has. Like and I just, I just don't believe it. Like it just, I, I know Joshua Jackson's trying hard here to like be naturalistic about it, but it just stands out to me. Well, you don't believe that he believes that Greg's a mouth like a Hoover, I, that you don't, that Greg actually has a mouth like a Hoover. I don't, be, I, I don't buy the performance here from Joshua Jackson. Let me put it that way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it, I don't, it's, it seems like it's trying to be a little edgy. It, it seems like it's trying too hard. Yeah. But the nineties are a weird time because I don't think that two straight guys really have a sense of what the gay experience was like in the nineties at mm-hmm. anyone's age. So yeah, I don't know. But, um, 
So they're going to arrange this like fuck over with Greg at the stroke of midnight. Um, oh, I should add that I almost put this uh, this Gregster in the dorm scene as one of my honorable mentions because it's so stupid. That's incredibly dumb. It's like, then I whip my dick out. Yeah. High five. I'm, I'm like, suck it, you dumb bitch. And they're all like high five. They're all high fiving at the, the, the dubbing of you are thus the Gregster. Yeah. Um, I feel like Eric Mabius is one of those actors that I was constantly being told was a thing back then and I never saw it. Yeah, I don't recall this guy from anything else. Um, so the park, the great park scene, just the LOL as uh, Cecile and Catherine go on this picnic. And Cecile's talking about court and how court had to d- dump this quote-unquote bulimic head case over the summer. <laughs> he kept talking about this bulimic head case he dumped over the 4th of July. Yeah. <laughs> as <laughs> Sarah Michelle Gellar's like straightening her hair, she's like yanks her hair back. Yeah. The the interplay between these two is like hilarious in every scene that they're in because Sarah Michelle Geller is so like transparently malicious and uh, Cecile has no clue. Yeah. Like she just yeah. like thinks that they're friends and doesn't see any ulterior motive at all ever. Well, and like what they're both doing as actors shouldn't mesh as well as it does, and it totally does. Uh-huh. Also, shout out to how SMG is dressed like the hottest fucking widow at a funeral <laughs> ever. Know. Um, crazy fashion it's great I mean Selma Blair it's, it's weird how the shit the bullshit that my memory contains do you remember the name of her her WB slash CW show was The Ringer or Ringer no no, that was Sarah Michelle Gellar I'm talking about Selma Blair oh um no I, I would Zoe remember. Duncan Jack yeah Jane, okay yeah which was like I, I don't know if that was before or after two guys a girl in a pizza place anyway um so man, well, back in Aunt Helen Sebastian's blasting opera into Annette's bedroom, leading her to the pool area. Well, it has a great line where she like she hears this music blasting and she's trying to read. She goes to the pool to yell at him. And she's like, are you aware this music's playing in every room in the house? And he says, it's not. Just yours. There's That's a n- nice flex. Psycho behavior. Yeah. That is psycho behavior. And then for him to switch it to like the cardigans, that is psycho behavior. Like that is, we need to talk about Sebastian's psycho behavior. I um, feel like he pulls it off well. I think this is when he, where Felipe's at his best here, is when he's being just like super cad. Uh, I think he's at his best in the scene right after this. But uh, so he like buys her like a monogram. Are you you're talking about just that like sculpted nude ass? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> well, just the when he turns around completely nude, yeah. finger in his ear, and he's like, would you mind turning around so I can put my bathing suit on? Power move. Yeah. Well, so I guess we'll get to that. So she she is like, oh, this is so embarrassing. And then she gets in the pool. And she's like, it's hard to believe that a guy who's so charming could be so manipulative. And she is not referring to how he just manipulated her. She is calling back to the letter. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so before that, though, I'm sorry. He tries to convince her to go swimming. And he has this great line here, which is, I know it's late being 10 o'clock and all, but we are reasonably young. <laughs> <laughs> which is just, there's layers. So the SMG calls and she's like, you fucker, yeah? And he's like, I'm working on it. And she's like, loser. Talk to you later. Yeah, sure. Bye. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they see each other naked. She's memorized parts of the letter, even more. Well, she tragic. doesn't. He doesn't see her naked. She just, no, no. I'm sorry. He sees. She sees him naked. Yeah. And then she's memorized parts of the letter, even more treacherous than he is attractive. He has never uttered a single word without some dishonorable intention. Who writes shit like that? I wonder well, if that's like an exact translation from. I I'm willing to give this movie a lot of leeway on the fact that they're doing like translation of an old like French novel, like all. You know, all the like the letters and whatnot and the jokes about email. Like, I, I feel like you just got to go with it. 
Also, as we covered in the last episode of Headcanon, I will give Roger Cumble a lot of leeway because I think he's an undiscovered gem of like 90s directors are still operating. But also, here was a guy in the 90s who was not adapting Shakespeare. He's like, no, I'm going to go the other direction. <laughs> I'm going to go French manipulative sex novellas. Mm-hmm. Um, so her boyfriend, the infamous Trevor, is backpacking through Europe. Whatever. Boring. Um, she's like, she calls him out for his methods to get with her. She's like, the best you could hope for is my friendship. And you're walking a fine line with that. Yeah, he's he's pushed a little too far. So she's just like later, bitch, and takes yeah, off. So, so he he goes for the, the the thing of the Gregster. I like there's a there's a real dark move there as he just rips the Gregster's go for it bumper sticker off. <laughs> That's just mean. Yeah. yeah. So, so he's he's arranged this with Blaine that Blaine was going to have a rendezvous with Greg so that Sebastian can presumably walk in now and get some blackmail material. I think they indicated in the previous scene with them that that Blaine will film this as well, and like. I got the impression it's like maybe they've done this before. Could be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Blaine is, seems very unconcerned about the whole thing. Like as soon as Sebastian comes in and starts taking photos, Blaine just kind of like laughs and starts like filing his nails. Yeah. And I like how well, he's like after like this big confrontation when Greg's just like, I swear I didn't write the letter. And then, and then Blaine is just like, you know, he's probably telling the truth. Yeah. Like I knew that from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really care, but yeah. Yeah. It's just for a laugh. Uh, so the next day, the Gregster and Annette go for a walk on the beach, and he talks up Sebastian. Uh, well, it's like he has to he so he's blackmailing Greg into going and like vouching for Sebastian. Like, go go tell uh, your friend yeah. what a great guy I am. Yeah, so you know he's got a reputation, but it's mostly bullshit. He's always had my back. Yeah, so we find out Christian Bransky, Miss Caldwell, has been talking shit about Sebastian. Um, oh, is that who wrote the letter? That's he, right. Yeah. It's Mr. Caldwell, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the movie does this thing where it's like when Greg calls Sebastian to tell him that he's like at that thing at the beach where like you do the outdoor showers with the guys. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, okay, because um, Greg's gay. Back, back um, in the day of payphones too, yeah, yeah, back in the day of payphones. So meanwhile, Catherine's watching hidden cam footage of Cecile and Ronald. Um, there's this, <laughs> this great hilarious moment here. This this should be an honorable mention. Yeah, it should. Proves that she could do a headstand by doing one of her legs wide open, basically flashing her blossom right there at Ronald. She just, just wearing a skirt, like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Ron's like looking away, like ah, oh, geez. Yeah. Then he he kisses her hand goodbye, like he's a gentleman, and she's like, "Peace out." <laughs> <laughs> I love everything Solomon players doing in this movie. Oh, she's so good. Yeah. Um, so Catherine and Sebastian's plans dovetail. He wants revenge on Mrs. Caldwell. She wants to turn Cecile into like a slut this, monster. This is the like incredible blue ball scene here. Yeah. Where yeah, she's yeah, like, yeah. she's grinding on him, getting him she in the just, mood. And it's like, so you fuck her yet? No, oh, never mind. Well, she leaves him with a, uh, until then down boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes to the set with Mrs. Caldwell and Catherine does. And, you know, she's explaining this whole infatuation of Ronald, that thing. And she's like, I know she's so young and he's so black. And I love the employees like bringing her coffee at that point. And she's like, er, uh, brown sugar. I mean, no sugar. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's got to look like the info didn't come from Catherine here, but obviously they're going to, Ronald's going to get busted. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she goes and confronts, you know, Ronald, you know, how dare you treat me with such disrespect? I got you off the streets. And he's like, got me off the streets. I live on 59th and park. Well, and, uh, he, 
she has a great line somewhere in here. She's like, she said something like, oh, don't make this about race. My husband and I gave money to Colin Powell, which is just so like the, I would have voted for Obama for a third term of yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 1999. Yeah. Well, as he, as he storms out, she's mastered that rich person thing, like nose upturned, like a shunt here. Any of your, uh, your <laughs> disparaging remarks. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is when he gets off the elevator and there's Sebastian and Catherine waiting for him with a letter from Cecile. And this is like I said, this I love. They take him back to their place, which again, you never go to a second location with these creeps. Um, he wants to write a letter back at their encouragement. He doesn't have Cecile's email address. And he's like, Ronald email is for geeks and pedophiles. Be romantic. Write her another letter. <laughs> and that much has changed in 20 years. Yeah. Um, so Cecile will come over to Sebastian's like room later to get her letter from Ronald and he'll give her uh, a iced tea tastes funny. That's because it's from Long Island. <laughs> it sure doesn't taste like iced tea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then he taunts her the fact that she could be a model if she was only sexy. And this is where it like starts to. It's just your classic nagging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, he likes to turn situations into where he then gets the person doing the work this is like well it's like oh you could be a model if only you were sexy i can be sexy oh yeah prove it you know yeah well like then like you know threatening to call her mother to come pick her up oh no i'll do anything that you will do me the favor of not calling my mother and he's like well i want to give you a kiss then downstairs um so the next day we have lunch at sebastian's aunt's house and then Cecile are eating and Sebastian shows up and he's like anyone for tennis as he like starts like stroking his racket at cecile so she just like spits her food out and runs off. And I, this is this is my favorite Reese Witherspoon moment where she's like, she's a very strange girl. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then, see, this, all this stuff is I feel like where Felipe is good in the movie when mm-hmm. he's just being a bastard. It's it's the turn. Like an overt monster. Yeah. 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 Um, Louise Brooks has been Nurse Ratchet. She's been incredible at playing a lot of horrible villains. Here she is hilarious as the aunt who's like so head in the clouds rich. She's just like gets off the phone and she's like, oh, dear, they don't have volunteers at the retirement home, but I have theater tickets. I wasn't sure if she'd like he'd set this up with her beforehand or not. Because it seems so just like set up for him, you know, it's like stage. He seems to be having such a miserable time that I just can't imagine it. So there's a whole thing where it's like, oh, he's going to go help out at the old folks home with Reese. And it's like, Oh, maybe he's not such a bad guy after all, even though he's being a dick the whole time, but like, she doesn't realize it. And so it's like, Oh, look at that. He's, he's good with old people. Maybe he's not a monster. Well, just convincing the lady of dementia that they played backgammon three times and she won. Mm-hmm. Well, then and he, she's he, like yelling that. Yeah. When they're driving later, he kind of like does a thing where he's like, Oh my God, it was so amazing. She's so interesting. And she's like, okay, come on. And he's just like, I feel like it's a very calculated, okay, fine, you know, I'm, I wasn't actually having that much fun. You know, like it's it's a calculated kind of admission to to Reese to make him seem more human. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, then, and then she starts then, doing the faces. Yeah, this is where like he's presented this image to her now that he's uptight and stressed out. And she's trying to tell him that he needs to loosen up. And now she's putting in the work by making these dumbass faces as they drive when she holds his hand. So um, Cecile meets up with, with Sarah Michelle Geller. This should have been on my honorable mentions too. When Seville really uh, reveals to, to Catherine that Sebastian took advantage of her by taking down her panties and writing the alphabet on her with his tongue. And SMG convinces her that she's a woman now and she'd be so stupid to stop now. 
Um, it's hard to get, like get her reps in. Yeah. Yeah, got yeah, you got to learn your shit now. Which there is some wisdom there, you know. <laughs> if you want to learn how to work, yeah, out, sure. you should go to the gym uh, before you teacher. before you get with the Speedy Ashley. Dance. Like you just need to have sex with as many people as possible. Well, because okay, that I was mean, a trailer line for sure. The my advice yeah. is to have sex with as many people as possible. Well, and they also used like this this quick little dissolve of her secret society dance in the trailer too, to make it seem like it was like this like weird sexy movie, which it kind of is. But like, there are people who are independently good at sex, and there are people who are like good together, and then there are people who are bad, right? I mean, so there's a wisdom there of sorts. Um, so later, like Cecile is clearly fucked Sebastian. She's just eating a bowl of maraschino cherries by the side of the bed as he's like journaling journaling again yes i just i can't think of anything more dickish like like we've just fucked she's just just lost her virginity yeah i'm just gonna sit here and just like get this down in my diary while it's hot (laughs) like second would be faith saying that was great i got a shower get out (laughs) well and she's like trying to seduce him again like offer him bj and i think this is where she does the move where she kind of like brushes her hair and falls off the bed or is, it, is this like, when he pushes her off well yeah yeah, yeah. she pushes, she's like am i supposed to feel the sore and he's like the first time yes mm-hmm. he's also just like lounging in a smoking jacket while doing this too on his bed mm-hmm. and so she, he's explaining to her that he has no feelings for her and she's like well i don't love you either and she just blows this thing of hair in his face <laughs> she's so good um so there's a scene where like Sebastian is watching Annette through binoculars as she's just like sitting under a tree, like reading a book and like shedding a tear from the prose. And Catherine is just like, Jesus Christ, you're completely pussy whipped. And this to me, it's like, this is too quickly. You know, he had, he had like one moment with her where she was making faces and he kind of like relaxed and laughed a little. And now it's like, he's smitten. Oh, I think still in a movie it's, Regardless of how he operates and the commodity he places of sex, it's weird to have him be so emotional after he just fucked a 14-year-old the night before, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, he's, like, talking about, like, how he actually can't stand her holier-than-thou bullshit, but he's completely infatuated with her. And he's just like, she got to me by making me laugh. Yeah, she's like, oh, my God, you're really into her, aren't you, or whatever. And it's like, is he? Is he really? You well, like you spent so, like a couple hours one afternoon with her. How bleak is your existence that a person can crack your icy veneer just by making you like guffaw once? Mm-hmm. Oof. Um, so he goes to see her under this tree. They start making out. He immediately goes to like the boob and the layback. Um, turns her off. Makes her admit that she has feelings for him. He threatens to leave to go back to the city or maybe go to the south of France for the summer because she's a hypocrite. And he he's really moving like way too fast on her. I mean, really, well, it's a movie and all, but like, like it, it seems like we needed maybe a, a like a montage of them hanging out over or, like a couple weeks or something. Yes, to like some. I mean, it's not like you don't have songs on the yeah. soundtrack doing their montage too. But also, I needed like a hard and fast like you have to fuck her by the end of summer. You know, I think that is more or less the the goal, but I guess I don't know. Um, so she's a hypocrite, doesn't associate with them. And she's like, how am I a hypocrite? And he's like, because you're turning your back on love something. Yeah, sure. So she comes over and it's like it's that move. Like you think she's going to like throw him out, but she actually locks the door. 
They start kissing. She unbuttons his pants and she like lays back on the bed and starts unbuttoning her like big ass jam jams. Um, and I was like, okay, this is called like, regular size jam jams. Yeah, I'm sorry. They're not big ass jam jams. Um, also, I think she's actually like early months pregnant. With no, she's not. Here. Is she? According well, to like IMDb, she was not. They were okay. dating. They hadn't gotten engaged yet, I don't think. Okay. But they met on this movie, though, right? No, no. They were already dating before they made this movie. And it was because, like, he was dating her that they were like, oh, we should get reads for this part because, like, the studio turned around Katie Holmes, I believe. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Um, that's way more about their personal lives than you need to know. Um, I, I feel like the her being ready to go with him is way too fast as well. So he gets overcome with emotion. And it leaves. just seems like we're He's missing like, like 15 minutes of movie here. Yeah. But um, then he, he, goes, he he can't go through with it because he, he realizes that she actually is really into him and he's into her, but this is like wrong. And so he takes off and goes, yeah, he goes and like, another room, freaks out and gets like disgusted by the side of himself in the mirror. It's like I was waiting for him to throw see. something at that mirror. Yeah. 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 Um, so the next morning we find out that Sebastian has passed out while journaling. <laughs> and this is where I first glimpse that there's even like photo cutouts of people. Like it's like a burn book. In, yeah, it's like a burn book slash something like a serial killer would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so she like Catherine's like there. She like goes like kind of grab the journal. He wakes up, catches her, you know, explains that he didn't feel right about seducing her the night before. And she's just like, God, are you a chump or what? <laughs> There's an awful lot of like straddling between these two for being step siblings. Yeah. I think they we weren't into that. Even like though in your center of Texas. Yeah, even though uh Reese Witherspoon and Rain Felipe were dating during this movie, it feels like Sir Michelle Geller has more chemistry with him. I believe as uh as the actor Joey Tribbiani explained, mm-hmm. if they have chemistry on stage, they haven't fucked yet. Mm, okay yeah um because i like i agree with you there's no chemistry i feel between um sebastian and annette and that's partially the way they're both playing the roles but whatever so annette's left uh sebastian's like racing the penn station to catch this when we get the common crows montage um waiting at the top of the elevator for her yeah Yes, Claire. Yeah, the song is, is is saying "I am ready, I am ready" over and over again. As they get up there, and she's like, "Well, I'm impressed." He's like, "Well, I'm in love." They start making out pretty heavily and pretty much in everyone's way. Yeah, I know. Get the, get the fuck out of the way, get man. Get the fuck out of my way, you motherfucker! I'm late for my train. Um, then we get some fuck imagery. Like my dude is just pumping away. Um, as the song says, "I'm covered in skin. Pull me out from the inside." They are nip to nip for a lot of this. Um. So after fucking Sebastian like sends her away in a taxi, he heads back inside. We see that Catherine's like watching from the window. Um, there's a real asshole move here when he straightens the doorman's tie. <laughs> yeah, Catherine's obviously unhappy with this uh, development here because I don't know. It's it's like she doesn't necessarily want Sebastian for herself, but she doesn't like the idea of somebody else having power over him. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and. Is he like a dark mirror of herself? And like, if I, he falls in love, does that mean that she's lacking something? Yeah, she doesn't. I, I think she needs him to be as corrupted as she is, or else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then she's really alone. Um, so this is when Ronald makes his grand return right now. Like he can hear her. Like he, uh, Sebastian comes home and he hears some some moaning going on in his stepsister's room there, 
And so he like waits a little bit and then goes in. And like there's this like crazy drawer that he just unfolds from the bottom of the bed and like Ronald's just chilling in there. Like, hi, yeah. here's my French yeah. tickler. Yeah. Well, like where where it doesn't work for me or where it doesn't make sense is like Sebastian sends in that away. He goes inside. The next scene is an, is Sebastian coming home again, like some period of time later, and that's when he overhears Catherine and Ronald. So Ronald runs off, which poor Ronald, did they finish? I don't know. Is he like jacking off in their bathroom right now? That's just into a planter, yeah. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the etiquette is of blue balls in a rich person's house. Um, so like this is like when Kath, or, uh, Catherine and Sebastian are having their moment. She's just like, I want to fuck. And he's like, Well, I don't. Oh, she hates it like, at the time hearing so hear, frustrating at the time hearing Sarah Michelle Keller from Buffy say I want to fuck was uh, shocking. Um, I liked it. Okay, I know. Uh, you did. Yeah, like I said, I'm a I'm a I'm a monster man of flesh and blood. Uh, so he leaves, and there's a great where she throws something at the door as he walks out. I don't know if people have that kind of emotion in real life anymore. I think when you're you rich, gotten, you do. Okay, I was say, have you ever gotten so angry that you've thrown something? That's probably not a good thing, but I can think of a few times where I've thrown my phone like onto my pillow, you know, because it's not going to break or anything. But like this was this was like out of anger. Yeah, you were like, oh, I'm so upset. I'm going to throw my phone. Mm-hmm. You're like, how can I throw my phone? I love my phone. Oh, I mean, this is this is a cordless phone from back in the day, but yeah, uh, okay, okay. You know, like not like now, like you're not. No, gonna I, w- I wouldn't even. Not even a new pillow. I would say that's a bold man. Yeah, but like I mean. There's something dark and interesting, though, and like the whole like Elaine Bennis thing of like, can you imagine he inspired such a passion this woman that she stabbed him? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So like later, Catherine comes in, she's giving him shit. You know, she hears him on the phone saying, I love you too, on the phone to Annette. She tells him he's completely pussy whipped. Also, Sarah Michelle Gellar is dressed like Joan Crawford in this scene, which is fantastic. Man, like I feel like she had such a there was like like a whole career that they didn't follow up on with her you know like i'm gonna mean like when she like got married to freddie prince jr and she did a couple things and then she kind of faded away and had a family and she's been like slowly coming back here and there which is fine i'm assuming that's her choice but like i assume it's somewhat her choice but yeah yeah no i agree like she should have had a huge career i feel like like not in like crap where that movie where young indiana jones where she's like a chef there's like a magic crab yeah is there a magic crab? I think there's there is. I think there's a magic crab who like helps her cook or something. Does he talk? Does he sing? I'm not sure. <laughs> it sounds like a Hallmark movie. I know it's not. Um, so she's upset that Sebastian doesn't love her anymore. And this is where I wrote down. She's basically the Jenna thing. Pre, <laughs> pre-vision loss. Um, so she starts giving him shit that he can't be happy with this girl. The new headmaster doesn't know about Sebastian's past yet. It'll be a shame when they find out the nuts whole manifesto is a sham. So he's just like, I was planning on telling her everything anyway. And she's just like, you were going to leave school a legend. Now you're going to leave a joke. Yeah. So she's kind of blackmailing him here. Where like, if you, if you continue on your path of being like this lame you know, like sap for Annette. I'm going to go tell the headmaster about how she lost her virginity. So, you know, well, something about that. Great line from her. You'll not only ruin your reputation, but you'll destroy hers, mm-hmm. which is fair, which is fair. Um, so she gets in his head. He goes to see Annette in her new play. She's ready to fuck again. She's just like straight up like, do you think we can be quiet? 
Um, he breaks up with her. He's just like, this isn't working for me. It's got to do the whole, I'm breaking up with you, but I clearly don't entirely mean it, but I can't say why. It's not you. He has kind of a weird... It's like crying the whole time, yeah. There's like a weird voice thing with, with Ryan Philippe. Like, it's not you, it's me. I'm completely fucked up. Like, it's like half Muppet. Um, and not and, just the uh, men, the women and the children. <laughs> Actually, I no, I, I give Felipe too much credit. I think uh, Hayden had more energy in that scene than he did in this. Hayden Christensen talks more like he's a, I don't know, like a New Jersey gangster. Well, like whenever Felipe is doing his more emotional scenes in this, like his like quiet voice, mm-hmm. he's doing a really weird like I'm on Valium performance that like it's like the worst parts of Attack of the Clones, pretty much. He's just like he's he's definitely not like your typical leading man, which is why I could see casting him in this movie. Well, I think he's uh, he's cast because I, he, I he plays the cad well. He, he plays yeah. the bastard well. What I always appreciate here's the thing I appreciate about these these kind of fucking monsters. This is unfortunately what 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 camouflages them. I appreciate that they don't dress like your typical losers. Like he's you know he's he's erudite in his fashion. He's putting some work into it. He's at least sending his money someplace. When your special. name is Sebastian Valmont, I think you have to dress nice. True, true. I just worry that then that that camouflages you and makes your potential victims think that you're okay, you're safer, it's you're oh. better. Bet. I'll go to a second location with you, even though we just watched your therapist flipping the fuck out in this mini mall. Oh, and he has um, lines in here like he's like screaming that she needs to admit that she has feelings for him, and then I just can't take your games anymore. Like, okay, dude. Well, and, and but the problem is, which is which? I should know. Yeah. I know she shouldn't know. I should know. Um, oh, by the way, I wanted to, I forgot about this detail when uh, they find Ronald there and like just in the drawer underneath Catherine's bed uh, and he like he just kind of like smiles and gets out of there. He kind of mumbles under his breath as he walks out. He goes, there's some fucked up shit in this house. Yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. that moment. Um, at one point, Sebastian in this breakup scene says, I just wanted to see what you were like in bed. <laughs> um, so she apparently when she slaps him in the scene, apparently it was real. Yeah. Um. There you go. So then I think he like went and then threw up afterwards or something. Cool. He screams at one point. I don't know how to make this any clearer. You mean nothing to me. You were just a conquest. So she calls him a coward. Points out he's shaking. She throws him out. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I would love to see uh, uh, Adam Driver recreate this. He would crush this role. I'm sure. I just wanted to see what you were like in bed. Which is you know because obviously canonically Kylo Ren is a virgin. Um, How's the weather down under? Blossoming, I see. <laughs> I don't associate with hypocrites. <laughs> Email is from geeks and pedophiles, Ronald. <laughs> Be romantic. Write her a letter. Um, the other thing about so I've, I've like I have shit on like Ryan Philippe's performance. My issue with the Annette Benning character, whether it be in the conception of her character or her execution, is you mean I Catherine? want to see no and the the Annette. Did I say Annette Benning? I meant Annette, the Reese Witherspoon okay. character. Yeah. I want to see more of her guile because, like, the maneuver that she pulls off at the end against Catherine. Well, there's a there's a like, certain moment in this movie where you're like, you probably had the like the same at the same time as I did. You're like. Oh, what if Annette is in on it? Like, wouldn't that be delicious? Yeah. And it yeah. just doesn't happen, which I think that's actually what Cruel Intentions 2 is. It's essentially like the same plot line, only the 
the Annette of the movie is in on it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it doesn't happen here because it, it seems like, oh man, what if her and Sir Michelle Geller like playing this the whole way? But then it's like, no, no, they're playing it straight. Well, there's a deleted scene where I believe uh, it's been a long time since I watched because I absorbed back in the day everything on this DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that she straight up lets Catherine know in the bathroom at the end, like, bitch, I'm going to destroy you. Mm-hmm. You think I'm nothing. You're about to find out. Um, yeah, so it smacks the shit out of him. Uh, Sebastian's just waiting for Catherine in Catherine's room when she gets back from wherever, like an emotionless robot. He has champagne. She's expecting Ronald. He's just like, he's got this like Dear John letter from Ronald. It's a lot of letters. <laughs> yeah, a lot of lot of fucking letters. <laughs> a lot of letters that like somebody else is delivering for a person. Yeah. Well, the power move that I like about this is the, uh, I haven't actually read the letter, but I think it probably goes a little something like this. Mm-hmm. I always appreciate when you're like, I've manipulated the situation to this point, and I'm pretty sure this is the conclusion. Like this, is this your card? Yeah. Um, so two hearts. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, he's like, "You were right. You do get dumped for the innocent." You didn't little- like that magic trick. That's okay. <sighs> Man, that's disappointing. I'm, I'm honestly been waiting for my phone to go off this whole time, where you like you recreate it. No, I, I, I wouldn't dare. That's like one of the greatest podcast moments I've ever heard. I wouldn't even wow. dare to try to replicate it. Wait till you get to the, uh, when they do the serial episode where they, uh, find the, uh, the missing, uh, moment from a TV show or movie that, they oh, don't know if it's- I mean, I've, I've listened to that. It's fine. But okay. to me, the, the magic trick was so like off the scale, like amazing. And the reaction to it and everything it's the, the episode's called I 15 love you. If anyone's interested podcast is due by Friday. Um, that's also the one with big tennis. Big tennis, big tennis is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Which reminded me that that bit reminded me a lot of you look nice today. But like uh, the new one is okay for a while when they get into the hamburger hamburger conspiracy. Oh, Did you know where they where they do the challenge where they eat Trump's McDonald's diet? No, I think I haven't got to that yet. Oh my god! So let me just fuck fuck this. They <laughs> recreate his campaign order for McDonald's. Oh, like the two Trump Big Macs, two fish fillets. Two Big Macs, two fish fillets, and like a like a chocolate milkshake. Mm-hmm. That is ten pieces of bread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I like McDonald's just fine. I'd rather get like a chicken sandwich or something. But like that is disgusting. <laughs> That's ten pieces of McDonald's bread. Anyways, so this is where Sebastian has to like make his big decision. He's he's trying to call her, I think, and she's not answering. So he wraps up his precious journal and writes a letter and tries to go to where he believes that. Uh, Reese Witherspoon is staying, but is this her mom who answers, or just like a it's relation? Her mom. Okay. I mean, the one thing you skipped over is is when uh, and, uh, Catherine flat out tells him, "You're just a toy, Sebastian." That's right. Yeah, a yeah. little toy I like to play with. Yeah. She, so the mom, she has a whole monologue about like, "Ha ha ha! You fell in, in love with somebody, and like, I ruined it, and I made you like throw it away just because yeah. you're like too proud of your reputation. You're my toy. You you thought this was a, a game about her, is about you the whole time, you know." Yeah, I don't fuck losers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, like, he's calling her like crazy. Like he said he goes, has a confrontation with her mom at the door of like their apartment. Mom's having a dinner party inside. He has a package for Annette. Please make sure she gets it. Um, we're told that she's not there. We see Annette's actually like listening and hiding. I love when we find out that she's she's inside the hallway, like listening. There's this great detail where you can hear the mom being like, I'm terribly sorry, everyone. But you just never know who's going to show up at my door. <laughs> I feel like this mom throws that in the trash. So they have oh, a fucking helps. creepy, weird-ass package from some obsessed ex-boyfriend. I'm not giving and that yeah, to she, my daughter. and It's going straight in the round file. 
And yet she gets it. Although yeah. I wonder what, what does the mom actually know of this situation? Probably nothing. Yeah. Because as far as the mom, I assume knows, Annette's still involved with the infamous Trevor who's backpacking through Europe. Annette might have told the mom like, hey, there's this creepy asshole from school who's been bothering me. Like, don't tell him I'm here, you know? Oh, which I remember, how does how does Buffy word it to Joyce? Like, uh, he changed afterwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so he he's there's like a voiceover as she like reads the letter that contains his Written diary. Cursive. Yeah. Um, like the uh, please give me another chance. I'm a fucking wreck without you. Yeah. If you really want to know the truth, please read it. Yeah. A sort of collection of my conquests. This is a weird thing to offer up. I think to to win a girl back. I feel like she doesn't know how like weird he is about his diary. You know, it's like he's assuming that she's gonna be like, "Oh wow, I can't believe he gave me your prize." Like possession. I'm the only one who has this. But yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. There's never been a moment where she's seen him journaling, and he's <laughs> like, "Get out!" Yeah, she doesn't know how precious it is to him. <laughs> but anyway, she reads it, and we see inside it's like this like photo of uh, Catherine there, and it's like deceitful, promiscuous, alcoholic, coke problem, bulimic, coke problem, yeah. Like and this, this is my love be, at the top, though I believe my love, my problem, mm-hmm. liar. This this has got to be the um, inspiration for that shit Jamie Dornan was doing in the fall. Oh, was he journaling as well? I don't even remember. Well, he that. was also drawing more of like uh, like murdering girls imagery, but still, I don't believe Sebastian wrote this. The handwriting's too nice. Well, like uh, I'm sure it was a prop person, but like. Mm-hmm. He's like collected like a little note card that it's like a person whitewashing a wall and it says a nightmare is fed before it is born. There's a photo of Catherine sleeping with a caption that says, I'm a bitch. <laughs> there's a there's whole the, thing on the bed. The bed. Yeah. My summer project. This is like scrapbooking. Yeah. This is like scrapbooking. Well, he, he, it's like he's writing articles, the bet, my summer project by Sebastian Valmont. Like this isn't your fucking yearbook, pal. He, he, he has drawn little, little diagrams of um car keys over like his like cool little roadster yeah and then it's yeah. like it says like she wins and then it says oh, i shit. win and yeah and it's like a little drawing of smg with like her eyes like real photograph of her eyes pasted on it and then like a little arrow pointing to her ass <laughs> oh this is so psychotic mm-hmm. i like i'm looking at the thing i almost want to see if it's like ipsum lorem i mean it appears to be real Right in there, quote unquote, help to set it. Oh, wow, yeah. I'm sure somebody had fun in the prop department there. So he's walking around despondently. He, I think, he does a move where he like looks up at her window and waits and waits and doesn't see her and then leaves just as she looks out and they miss each other. And then it's implying that he spends the night like in the woods of Central Park, yeah, that's creepy. Um, and then (laughs) you have no cell phone guy, like, you don't know if she's going to call you in the middle of the night. What are you doing? S and dude, by the way, I love that her phone is like that old fashioned, like fancy style phone. With There's like, a lot of like Louis the 14th shit to their whole yeah. life. Yeah. She calls up Ronald and is just like, Hey man, Sebastian like fucked your girlfriend. And also like he beat her. So, you know, go do your thing. Go beat me. Beat me. Beat me. Beat, oh, so beat her. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Cause he, he's next to uh, Cecile in bed. So. Yeah. So he kisses Cecile's like as she's sleeping and she mm-hmm. makes a face. Um, that's just a shot coming down of Sarah Michelle Geller. 
in that sequence. The so overhead good. shot. Like she's, yeah. Yeah, like she's just like in her like satin sheets, just being so villainous and wonderful. Um, so Sebastian comes out of the woods of the park at night. Like, what are you doing in the woods all night, guy? Like, ah, okay. So um, everyone like takes to the city looking for each other. Ronald's like looking to hunt Sebastian down. Sebastian's just like wandering around aimless and probably exhausted. Ronald finds him. And that's like dressed in all white, even though she's not virginal anymore. Um, Sebastian is all in black. Yeah. So Ronald and Sebastian start fighting by the side of the road. It's like a like, pretty weak fight. It's a pretty weak. I mean, I want to say the, the deleted stuff like more to the fight. But again, it's a simple like Sebastian could have diffused as a one line of like Catherine's manipulating you. I never did. I mean, would he, would he believe it, though? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, so Annette sees this, runs over to stop them. She gets pushed into the road. She's kind of atro- acrobatically like flung into the road. Yeah. Yeah. Sebastian says that she's about to be hit by, hit by a ta- taxi. So he goes to like push her out of the way. I love that he kind of pushes her further into traffic. Mm-hmm. And then he, he gets run down, and just basically bounces over this taxi. So when you first watch this, like, did you think, oh, he's dead now? No, I did not. I, I thought it was a step. I, I was not aware of like how the play and or the book ends or whatever. So I was just like, Oh, he's fine. He looks fine. It's like his, he's got like a little scratch on his forehead and then it's like cut to the funeral. And I was like, what <laughs> really? So like, like I said, I've, I've seen three movie versions. I don't really remember the first one. I do remember in, in Valmont, it ends with like the promise that there's a, a, a Valmont junior to come, mm. which is a, I don't know if that's really indicated in this movie, but I know that was supposed to be part of the plot of the TV show from 2015. Was uh, it was about his like Sebastian Junior going to high school? Does uh, Sam Elliott come out and tell us that he has it on good authority that there's a Sebastian Junior on the way? Sadly, no. Hmm. That'd be great. So that whole Big Lebowski thing—it's like a some dumb Super Bowl ad, right? Oh, didn't they already do this with like a Back to the Future thing a few years ago? And I feel I like they know. do what this the- every year at the Super Bowl. There, it's like, oh, we're reviving X, you know, and it's uh, yeah, it's I never good. I don't care. About I don't want a Super Bowl ad back to the Big Lebowski. Don't. don't I'm, I'm more interested in the that. Big Lebowski two Bunny's Revenge. <laughs> but. Unfortunately, Philip Seymour Hoffman is dead, so he'll never pay that $100 to watch. Yeah, he never gets to watch. <laughs> um, so, yeah, to save her, he throws her further in the taxi. He gets bounced over the taxi. He dies, but not before telling her that he loves her. So we get the funeral. Uh, Annette's dad is giving the first eulogy. Um, Catherine's doing some coke in the bathroom. Funeral's at school for some reason, yeah. Yeah, so Annette comes out of the stall and Annette introduces herself. And he's like, oh, have we met? Oh, I don't think so. So Catherine's like studying the speech she's giving. These two are like like thinly veiled, it, shooting some animosity at each it's other. It's possible this isn't a funeral, but just a service. Or maybe. I don't, I don't know, see a yeah. casket there. Yeah. Oh, because stupid me, when I first watched this, I kept thinking like he's going to pop out of this thing and be like, ah. I was just like, he's not dead. He looked fine. Yeah. Um, Catherine does another bump of coke from her wonderful little necklace there. Well, well, and that sets her up too. Or she's like, you know, sometimes during hard times. I turn to Jesus because she's read the uh, diary. Yeah. Yeah. So Catherine's trying to make this all part of her narrative. I mean, good for her. Like she's going to make this part of like her, her story for the senior year of high school. Um, so she starts like doing her, her eulogy or her speech or whatever. And I love that This first chick just comes running into the chapel to like go from person to person. Like, have you heard the news? 
<laughs> interrupting the service. Yes. Uh, Catherine keeps trying to give the speech and it's like more and more people are getting up and running outside and she's just like, like staring back at her. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What the hell is going on? You know? And she eventually like goes out to see what's up and everyone, like all the student and they're all in like prep school uniforms, by the way, like the whole student body is reading As like the, the dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, you know, like the, the turning up the bittersweet symphony, symphony. On the soundtrack. Yeah, everyone's reading some like printout, like uh, notebook, and then Cecile comes up the suddenly. Version. Suddenly, Cecile's in on everything, and she like hands SMG like a printed out like spiral notebook of what everyone's mm-hmm. reading. It's like it's called Cruel Intentions, the Journal of Sebastian Valmont, uh, and it's it's basically just like mimeographed journal that shows everything in there, which had to be an insert because i think the original test screen version of this movie was called cruel inventions yeah they changed it because I mean, that was the original title of the movie um but right. they, they said it sounded like sci-fi or something so well like the audience cruel intentions is better. Yeah. <laughs> well the word intentions is actually used at one point in the movie thankfully if you're cecile uh, do you really want this out there you don't like edit your page out of that maybe she did no it's not it's in there it's the first thing uh catherine opens the notebook and there's Cecile on one side and the bed on the other. Well, I wonder though, like Cecile is, is by, by taking control of this, she can start a whole redemption narrative or how she was victimized. And like, she can ride this, you know, Catherine could be like, she can ride Catherine's downfall, you know, up. I guess. I don't know. It's a harsh world back then in high school. Yeah. This is, this is brutal. I mean, this happened to us in our high school every other mm-hmm. week with somebody who was putting out their burn book and just ruining reps. Yeah. You can have your rep ruined. You yeah. called a poster. Oh, devastating. So devastating. This, this journal is all about uh, how Catherine's a backstabbing bitch and all that. Everyone, co- the, the Coke uh, necklace diagram is in there. Catherine starts crying as everyone just looks up at her horrified. Like, like they couldn't kind of tell. I don't know. I mean, I guess you just have to go with it. She's very cool with her Coke addiction, though. You know what I mean? Like, she's right. not like she's not like the 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 actors and boogie nights where she's like pacing and sweating. And I don't want to leave this room. Let me call your mom. You know, she's. Yeah. Oh no. I think it's it's just there as a little bump now and then. The headmaster yeah. comes out and like kind of like she happens to be holding her necklace and he just kind of like grabs it and opens it and sees there's coke inside. And it's like, Mm-mm, girl. So I, I guess she gets like suspended or expelled. That's what we can yeah. assume happens. And then like cut so, cut to Reese driving in the like big penis roadster there as we're like flashing back to like their like greatest moments together, her and Felipe. And we see she's got, she puts the sunglasses on and she's like, I don't know. She's leveled up in like, you know, awareness or whatever now. And she's got the journal next to her on the road, sir. (laughs) She's like, fuck you. I'm skipping school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Driving to wherever the fuck I'm driving outside of the city. Driving like to like Brooklyn seemingly. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. The, um, again, I think, I think the editing in this last scene to better something is brilliant. I would almost argue that it's on par with the editing at the end of uh, good, bad and the ugly. Like it's just it's that's the right cuts. It's the right. Ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a ridiculous guy, but so basically Sebastian's reputation is maintained. Catherine looks terrible. Um, I just love the shots of these extras just like glowering and mm-hmm. shaking their heads in disgust. They're just like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. You horrible person. But I wanted a shot of the of court in here too, also shaking his head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that is the movie. Make one change. What do you got? Um, like I don't know. It's 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 a it's another script pass just to kind of iron out the um the relationships and like when the ties are turning per se. 
uh, which I don't know if that's even possible because, like I said, it was shot in six weeks. So I mean, it's like a script level change is what I would do. Hmm. Okay. You? Um, I'd make Sebastian the villain. I just think that Sarah Michelle Gellar is so much more fun. Like I just I don't I can't get behind Sebastian at the end of the movie and feel any empathy for him. So I'd make him the villain. Hmm. Uh, all right. Well, let's see our power rankings. I've got ten. I have ten as well. What's number ten? So some of these are pretty superficial. I mean, I there's 10, not I a have... lot of characters in this, so yeah. No, but I mean, some of these characters wouldn't have made it onto this list if I didn't need to, and mm. so I always worry that I'm losing somebody I should have. Anyway, number ten, I have the Gregster. Oh, okay. I have him higher, amazingly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I don't um, know why. I mean. <laughs> I mean, I guess Eric Mavis is good in this role. Like he's like, you know, exactly like he's cheesy, but it's like, you know, exactly why he's supposed to be cheesy. There's something understated about a, a part where you, you perfectly set up with the audience. This person's supposed to be ridiculous and then they can play it that way. Like what would otherwise be considered bad acting. That's why Selma Blair is so good and so camp. And so I don't know. Yeah. So my number 10 is Greg, sir. Yeah, I had uh, Marcy Greenbaum, a.k.a. Tara Reed's character in this. Oh, okay. <laughs> it just got out of hand. Yeah. I have Tara Reed at number nine with just the, he said I had killer legs. <laughs> I had uh, her mom at number nine, Dr. Greenbaum, Susie Kurtz there. Wow, this is uncanny. I had her mom at number Susie Kurtz at number eight. Okay. Well, we're almost all matched up because I had Greg at number eight. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, uh, those were like, those were characters that were in this movie because there weren't many. So, yeah. Yeah. But who do you have at uh, seven? I have Ronald. Wow. Okay. Not a fan yeah, of Ronald, uh, huh? Ronald, I mean, is, is serviceable. He's, I feel like Ron, I think tonal wise, I think the, this actor's in a different movie. Like, mm. I don't know if he saw all the pages of the script. He's doing a different thing. Um, the best scene, like you said, is when he runs out of Catherine's bedroom and he's just like, there's some fucked up shit in this house. <laughs> uh, so I had Bunny Caldwell, uh, Christine Bransky at number seven. Mm. All right, good job, Bransky. Um, I have her at number six. <laughs> don't give me that racist crap. My husband and I gave money to Colin Powell. Fucking Colin Powell. <laughs> Uh, uh, I had Blaine Tuttle at number six. It's a ridiculous okay. character. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't that there's just a general uh, uneasy vibe of homophobia throughout it, like I'd be much more interested. Like I said, I, I wish Blaine had been in Cruel Intentions too. I think the character would have been interesting. I had Blaine at number five. Okay. Yeah, I guess ultimately like there are there are straight actors who can convincingly play gay. I just don't feel like Joshua Jackson is one of them. It's still a caricature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I what I appreciate though, in hand in hand with the otherwise discussing homophobia, is that he's Sebastian's friend, and it's I don't know, like he's not played as like Sebastian. I'm here to give you fashion advice. Yeah, he's not. It's a caricature, but it's like a different caricature than we you would normally get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the villainous gay is, I, I think, typically saved for a different kind of movie. But he's not here to be like, you know, the last minute. Let me give you the last piece of like love advice that you need mm-hmm. to go get your heterosexual romance going. Like, he's like, I'm here to play, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are we at? Number five. I had Sebastian Valmont at number five. 
This is very intriguing. Uh, I had Sebastian number four. Hmm. I just didn't. I don't know. I, I, we've talked enough about Felipe. I just. I feel like he he only had one side of the role nailed down. Uh, I had a and yet, sorry. I was, this is this is the role he will always be remembered for. I think. I guess not like way of the gun. I don't think or ten people, things I hate I about you. Can, is he in ten things I hate about you? Oh wait, not not ten. Um, I know what you did last summer. I always get those like long movie. Uh, I mean, do you really feel like he? Like playing uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's boyfriend in that is like a like a it's a big memorable role for him. But I, I feel like that was the kind of cast its movies because they did that to, that movie together with the producer. I felt like it was a kind of iconic, like kind of somewhat hot headed, kind of like big man on campus. You know what I mean? I, uh, mean, I think I think the iconic pieces coming out are Jennifer Love Hewitt, like "What Are You Waiting For," and the Hook Fisherman. But I feel like person. that that became his kind of niche was just like that guy. That kind Maybe. of like kind of angry guy. I mean, what did he do after this? He's got Way of the Gun, where he's somewhat similar to that. Uh, Gosford Park, where he's just like a fuckboy. That's that, right. He's in Gosford Park. Yeah. And he's, then he's the like, antitrust. Of uh, Rachel Lee Cook. Was oh, he the one who was actually an actor? And, and oh, Gosford uh, Park was. Park? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's pretending to be lower class, he's but he's like, not. Yeah. And then it's oh, a it's a rough time on his IMDb after that. He did like a TV show called Shooter, which may or may not have got canceled. Um, oh, he's in Famous in Love as himself. Wow, really? <laughs> that's what the credits say. Uncredited. Wow, <laughs> that's got to be like favorite of Roger Cumble, right? I wonder if that's just like on the TV screen or something. Hmm. But yeah, I wonder. Let's see who directed that. Episode. episode of Cruel Intentions. Uh, not directed by Roger Cumble. Okay. Oh, okay. Would have been great if like he appeared somewhere in like the sweetest thing. Um, I I so besides ten things or uh, not ten things, kind of you've been doing it. Now. I know. Despite I know what you did last summer, I would like to hear from people if there's a more iconic uh, Ryan Phillippe role. I think like I think you can count the number of people who've seen Way of the Gun on like three hands. I feel like the first three minutes of that movie might be his masterpiece. Yeah, which is funny. That guy went on to do Fallout. But um, I, I don't think a lot of people have seen that movie. <laughs> oh, he's in 54. That was the other thing he was in. Oh, I think that was what killed his career, really. That was before this movie, but sure. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Because I think like, that was like positioned to be like big movie, and then it kind of made people uncomfortable. It, it was hyped as being a big flashy movie and it just didn't land. Like I, I'm pretty sure that got pretty mid mixed reviews. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably also the end of, uh, Mike Myers. No, no, he still had like a couple more, uh, awesome powers, awesome powers and he had like one oh, more movie after that. I can't remember what the love guru still laid ahead for him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, number four for me was Annette Hargrove. She was okay. fine. I just didn't feel like there was, a ton of layers there. Like she's just very much like she, it wasn't until the very end of the movie and she kind of like smiles and puts sunglasses on that. It seems like she has another gear. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I said I, I wanted to see some kind of indication of that prior. I feel like you have got a character that I must've forgotten. My number three is Annette. Okay. I, uh, for, for all the reasons you mentioned, like there are bits where I like her. Um, I think that her character strives on just her 
blonde wholesomeness and not saying a whole lot in certain scenes. Like like it's more charisma than than executed role was carrying her. Because I mean, she goes on to be fantastic as, as like Tracy Flick, and I mean, she is like the driving force. I think of a lot of like Big Little Lies, you know, from a more like recent standpoint. Um, I just don't know that this is like one of her great Reese Witherspoon and Witherspoon standouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at number three, I had Cecile Selma Blair, who's having a lot of fun in this movie. I think. Okay, you're doing a bit of a thing. Am I doing a bit of doing? a thing? You're doing a bit of a thing. Okay. Um, my number two is Cecile. Selma Blair is great. She is the not so secret MVP of this movie. The physicality too. Like my, my God, like she's so talented. Which the weird shit she's doing and just playing this cute, adorable, super ditzy, fourteen year old at twenty seven. Um, I saw some interview of her where she was talking about um, the she looks great in the movie until the movie came out on HD. And then people were like, oof, Selma, you're not looking great in that movie. And she's just like, I know. <laughs> something like that. Something terrible like that. All right. Uh, number two, I had this guy way higher than he was Ronald. I just found him hilarious in every scene he was uh, in. Wow, okay. Higher than Cecile. Fascinating. Yeah. All right, way to go, Ronald. Um, and number one, of course. Obviously. Yeah. Sarah Michelle Gellar's great. I just feel like she was one of those actors who, like, when given the right material, she knocked it so far out of the park. But she kind of, like, movie-wise, she got slotted into just some bad movie roles. Like the the crab movie. Right. The magic crab cooking movie. Or, like, yeah. I'm sure she was fine as Daphne in, like, the Scooby-Doo movies. But then it's, like, a waste I'm of time. I'm not going to see it. Yeah. I'm not going to see it, yeah. Well, like... I don't think that Sarah Michelle Gellar can play a stupid character. And so when she does play stupid characters, they're always brilliantly interesting. Like she is the best part of that trash fire that is Southland Tales. Yeah. Yeah. That's a rough movie. Yeah. But I mean, like whenever like Buffy has to play dumb, it's Mm -hmm. always a fascinating treatise on like how we treat women of certain kind. Screen two. It's like, she's really just there to be like, hi, I'm in a screen movie. You know. And just for me, just for make sure I'm paying attention. And, mm-hmm. I definitely and then he got like Harvard man, Scooby-Doo. Um, yeah. The grudge, which like, that's, that's the wrong way to go. Like a weird, like J horror movie with her. Southland well, because- tales, grudge Two. the grudge. Was she in the grudge too? Wow. Mm-hmm. Like the grudge was like an anthology J horror adaptation too. You know what I mean? Like she wasn't even really the star. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think Which is around the, that point actually, is when she got married and had kids. And so it's like voice work and minor stuff from then on. Like, yeah, like like Star Wars cartoons and like mm-hmm. The Ringer. Um, the Ringer sounded like, I don't know, like I watched the pilot, I believe. It sounded like something that came out post PLO, post like The Lion Game. Yeah, 2011 and 2012. Interesting concept, but... It was all. I think that was like a CW show, right? Yeah, I mean the mm-hmm. pilot just wasn't wasn't great. Um, but it's, like I said, it's an interesting concept. Um, and I just I, I I would have been fascinated to see her come back for this 2015 Cruel Intentions TV show because they had recast somebody to play the Annette character, and it was like Annette's son, 
is going to Manchester Prep. And I don't know how Sarah Michelle Gellar is going to fit into it. But she was playing Catherine. Would, she was playing Catherine, but it would have, like, I don't know how Catherine fits into their lives. Yeah, but yeah. It would have been fascinating. All right. Well, uh, that was Cruel Intentions. I guess we should talk about what we're doing for the month of February. Yeah. What are we doing, Marco? We are doing our super romantic month. Did we? So I wrote down the movies we're doing. Did we definitely guarantee that this is the order? So the one we're doing next, and we'll, we'll keep the rest a secret for now, but the, just okay. know the theme is romance. But the one mm-hmm. that we're doing next week, I think it's next week, right? Sure. Or wait, it might be in two weeks. Let me look. It might be camera. in two weeks. Let's say so we're gonna get, do four episodes in the month of February. Yeah, it's, let's have it coming out on sometime around like the seventh or eighth. Um, mm. Yeah, we're doing Gone Girl is the next one. Mm-hmm. The month of romance. Month of romance begins. Our first venture movie, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. Well, I know we talked about every frame of painting with the Fincher episode before. I'm sure we mentioned it before. Okay. You know what I was thinking we should do further off long term? Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't it feel like it's kind of it's the right time to do the the Nolan Batman movies? Sure. Like I that's know. a that's a, a franchise, you know, package we haven't really gotten to yet. I know a few people have suggested that to us. Mm-hmm. Do some bad fun. Michael I mean, Caine impressions, yeah. Bad Michael Caine impressions? Oh, a lot. Bane. Bad Bane voice. Mm-hmm. Like trying to sandwich in Bane into like the first movie for some reason because it's I'd, like, what's your Killian Murphy impression sound like? I don't know. <laughs> I'd say we could do a bad Batman voice impression, but is there one really? Swear to me. There you go. You heard. I'm it. not wearing hockey pads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna get very romantic. Um, the month of love, starting yeah. of Gone Girl. Sometime in the next uh, ten to twelve days, yeah. Just a uh, just a delicious first date movie. Mm-hmm. That's a good Valentine's Day movie for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, romantic guys, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Serenity at all? Oh yeah, yeah. So drop a spoiler alert here. Um, there's a movie that came out starring Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway called Serenity. If you don't want to know the big twist, well, you should probably keep listening anyway because it's a terrible well, movie. Like, you're going to see this movie. Like, nobody's going to go see this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Some people Um, are, I'm sure. So, it is so heavy-handed, beaten over your head. Okay, so, sorry, bird's eye view. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey is a guy who lives on an island called Plymouth. His name is Baker Dill. Mm -hmm. That is not a last name. His first name is presumably baker his last name is dill well it's it's because you find out later there's somebody named dylan baker who he's named after yeah not the actor who was in uh, the spider-man movies no, and lizard. happiness <laughs> i can um and so oh, that'll, that'll be in one of our other heavy romance months um mm-hmm. and so he's like rick from casablanca he's running away from something but right now he's a fisherman who takes like rich tourists out on his boat? Like it's more like uh, shit. The other Howard Hawks um, movie with Humphrey Bogart. So he takes rich fisher or rich tourists out on his boat to catch fish, and he's been trying to catch a massive tuna called Justice. That he is and named his, Justice, yeah, yeah. Then his ex-wife 
Diane Hathaway, who's blonde, shows up, and she's got a deal for him. If he takes out her new ultra terrible husband, played by Jason Clark, she'll and kills him on the water, like pretends that he got drunk, he fell overboard, the sharks got him. She'll pay him ten million dollars, and maybe he'll get to see their son Patrick. Mm-hmm. And then we find out, and it's heavy handed set up all throughout that this is all a weird fucking video game that Patrick has created in his bedroom so, while he listens to his... So what's going on, I'm going to talk a little bit because you're cutting out. Uh, so what's going on in the movie is that uh, at some point in the past, the real Matthew McConaughey died during the Iraq war and his wife and remarried to some shitty guy and their son, who's like autistic, like created this whole like fishing simulator game that he plays all day. And where he like plays as his dad who like his dad is trying to catch a big fish. And there's like side quests of like being a gigolo basically. And like fucking like the rich older woman for money or going out and like catching swordfish at night for like boating, like fishing supplies. Um, and then at some point the son decides to change the rules of the game and make it. He puts his own mother into the game along with his shitty stepdad. And he, the, the, the mother, you know, proposes the deal, like kill, kill my uh, new husband and I'll pay you money. And it's like, the game is about this like moral quandary, you know, whether or not he should go kill the uh, stepdad. And then meanwhile, in real life, the, the kid is like thinking the same thing at the end of the movie in the, within the video game, Matthew McConaughey, like let's, uh, they like kind of set it up so that they're fishing and, uh, Jason Clark has the rod and gets dragged into the water and drowns. And at the same time, in real life, the autistic son goes and like stabs their father to death, his stepdad to death off screen. And then it's it's happy, and and the game changes, and everyone he the kids now somehow in the game himself, and they go fishing together. Imagine if you had issues and you needed to create a video game to work out those issues in which your father was a protagonist of the video game. So presumably you're playing as your father, but you're like, man, my dad sure has a lot of sex in this game. Well, you're like, I really need to make sure the graphics look good for when my mom visited, visits my dad and they fuck on a boat. Like, I need to make sure that all looks good. I got to program like that when, right. I got to write the dialogue scene, there. In that Rick and Ilsa scene where my dad bends my mom over a table. <laughs> and and sees like all the scars. Yeah. Yeah. The fucker like he's Michael Douglas in the basic instinct. Yeah. And then, then they actually fuck like facing each other. And it takes, I don't know, three pumps. <laughs> I need to make sure that uh, you just like my dad can get fully nude within the game. And just go swimming around naked constantly, a lot. <laughs> constantly. Yeah. Yeah. But my dad is just greasy and oiled up the whole time. And when he says, I'm going to shower, what he actually means is I'm going to jump nude off of a cliff into the ocean. Well, there's a bit where it's like, it's when I think it's like before they have sex when Anne Hathaway, who just, she's, she's doing the full like femme fatale, but it's just not working with the tone of the movie. But like, she's going and trying to have her moment with McConaughey who, I mean, what has he got to be like at least 10 years older than her in real life? And and she's like, do you remember that yeah, time just... I came to you on the bridge? You said I was finally old enough. It was my first time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is yeah. romantic? What the fuck? But somehow, like, they both had the same high school reunion, even though they're obviously different ages. Yeah, this is like Henry Ford Jr. and uh, Marion Ravenwood. Like, age disparity, I feel like. Um. 
oh Jesus, this fucking movie. And it's like, so the first shot of the movie is we see the kid's face and then we zoom in on his eyeball where the island exists. And it's like, all right, and there's a bit of a thing happening here. Well, so I mean, at that point, you don't know it's a video game yet, but you're like, okay, they're doing something weird. But as soon as they like, as soon as they cut to like the kid, like coding on a computer screen, I was just like, oh, are they going to do like, it's all a video game. That would be dumb. And then like, you know, 30 minutes later, I'm like, yeah, they're, they're really doing it. Okay. And they just keep going. Like they just keep beating your head over of constant, constant, constant imagery of this kid, the blanket over his head and over the monitor as he's like creating this, this coding thing. And he has a giant lighthouse similar to the lighthouse next to the uh, shipping container. His dad lives in. It just seemed like on his desk. It seemed like they needed, like this could theoretically be like a black mirror episode, but you would need it to be kind of written and executed in a much better way. Like the, the, movie here is trying to like kind of like do some little stuff where like the non-playable characters kind of you know are stuck in loops and whatnot or he can't he can't start driving until the light turns green he can't wake up until well, a did, certain they time do they do that like, yeah he can't get out no that's what i'm saying it's, it's, like it's in the movie but it's not it's not done well like there are so many better oh. ways you could do that i'm trapped in a video game thing and it's just like executed really poorly the scene that i think that they thought was killer where he goes through every map that he has and mm-hmm. it's only of this island yeah. it was so flat. And there's so a, fucking there's flat. a whole lot of McConaughey just like yelling at the sky. Yes. It, like he's Nicolas Cage in this fucking movie. Uh, <sighs> Jason Clark, like I, I would not have done this role if I was him. No, Jason Clark needs to really evaluate his career. Like he's basically playing like his new thing, because I, I had to watch a bunch of trailers of him. Oh, prior. yeah. They were like th- using like two or three trailers. Yeah. Like, like the evil, angry, cuckolded husband mm-hmm. is not a good role to like settle into. Yeah. Go <laughs> go do something like where you're fun. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Go to TV if you have to. But for the love of God, like don't lose out on anything to Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey is like he only plays roles i mean he's basically russ cole in this you know just like i'm just gonna whisper things in a, in a texas accent and stare off in the space you know it's like uh, poor, poor jimani hansu I mean, is in this just yeah uh, poor jimani G- hansu like is like trying to be like the soul of this fucking guy then stuff when so when jason clark like breaks his hand after the attack he is fucking hilarious like I don't feel like going out today, hon. I'm hurt real bad. And she's oh. just like, come on, daddy. How, come yeah. on, daddy. Have, we, me a- have we mentioned that uh, she, ha- like, I guess, like, he insists on Anne Hathaway calling him daddy constantly. So it's a whole lot of Anne Hathaway, like, calling Jason Clark daddy and like, oh, your hand's all mangled, but it's okay. Here, see, you can still choke me and I'll call you daddy. And yeah, it's yeah. like, what the fuck am I watching? That's how she manipulates him into to going along with this final fishing trip. Is if he can still choke her like he usually does with mm-hmm. his broken hand. Oh, you still got it, Daddy. Oh my God! Like this is a movie that I would only see with a bunch of friends and like a lot of alcohol. Yeah, yeah, it was just very awkward in the theater. Like, because there are some people who were laughing and some people weren't. You uh-huh. know, like, because there's like a fair amount of older people watching this movie. They probably thought that it was just some sort of classic like fishing noir or something yeah 
Yeah. No. <sighs> no, no, no. And and poor Anne Hathaway. What the fuck are you doing in this movie? <laughs> you I just you deserve so much better than this. Were they given like a different script or something? Like how the hell did anyone sign on to this? Like who read the script and it's like, yeah. Like maybe they well, maybe they thought this was gonna be like the next Black Mirror or something. I don't know. Yeah, like the stepped on version of San Junipero. I think you could have tricked Anne Hathaway into taking this role if you only gave her her scenes, though there's not a whole lot there. But like McConaughey, like you said, is screaming at the sky quite a few times and like debating the rules of the stupid game or whatever. And it's, it's like it's not interesting at all. Too. No, no, it's it's but it's like the kind of roles that he fucking loves doing. He's such a fucking weird guy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, I don't know if I have that much more to say about this movie. It's no. real bad. I, I look forward to like, how did this get made? And we hate, we hate movies doing podcasts about this like a year from now. I just don't know if there's enough to like really tear it apart. You know I what think, I mean? I think there's plenty. Hmm. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to pedophile too much about something this bad, but like, holy shit. Uh, I'm glad I saw it though. I think. Yes, I am. I don't know. I wasn't doing anything and I have a list, so it's not like it cost me extra money. But yeah, it was something. Hell of an endorsement. It was not erotic. Well, speak for yourself. I mean, poor Diane Lane, too. Like, <laughs> how much did she film on this role? I'm just trying to imagine this actual video game. You oh, know, the, like... Yeah, seriously. The Wikipedia article is pretty, pretty funny where they talk about how they had cast Uma Thurman. And then, like, the next line is. Uma Thurman then removed herself from the production <laughs> because she read the script. Like, yeah, I bet. Well, it's like after we fuck twice, I just stare out at the window at him and his boat, you know, like seven times. I mean, I guess nah, the the I'm excuse good. is that no, oh, these are they're just like NPC characters, so of course there's no depth to them at all. But it's no. like that's not great. <laughs> no, no. Oh boy. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back in a little under two weeks to talk about Gone Girl. Yeah, bring your bring your romantic hearts, because we're gonna do stuff to them. Sure, sure. Alright, until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye.